Hello listeners, it's your host Craig coming to you from the future. Just to let you know that this episode was actually recorded a few weeks ago but I haven't been able to get it out until now because I was flat out with the Edinburgh International Film Festival. This has caused some of the discussion points to be a little out of date. For example, we talk about the fate of Timeless being undecided but it's now been cancelled. Other than some out of date information, I can assure you that you're in for a treat. Hiya, my name is uh, Freya Maver. Um, I've been in things such as uh, Skins, uh, Sense of an Ending, La Dame dans l'auto, and more recently, Dead in a Week or Your Money Back. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. When I was a child, my planet, Krypton, was dying. Okay, not really, but my parents named me Craig McKenzie, and I was put on this earth to consume nerdy content. The problem is, there's just so much. So I did my best, until recently, when a website allowed me to force myself upon the world. To most people, I'm a giant nerd who watches too much TV, but in secret, I'm an even bigger nerd who watches even more TV. I do this to talk about it, and protect the masses from potentially bad content. This is Neil Before Pod. And coming live from a previously undiscovered chunk of my home planet, it's Chris. Hello. It's always handy when you see these chunks of your home planet just flying around. It's really useful. I know, I know. I, I mean, I, f- I feel like uh, I, I really should have made it obvious where I was sooner, but, you know, I thought it was more convenient uh, being undiscovered under my dome. Just just wait, you know, a couple of decades. It's fine. Yes. Yeah, it's not even a couple of decades. I don't know how long it is. But we're starting to verge into spoiler territory here. People have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so we are here to talk about Supergirl Season 3 from Episode 10 onwards. Um, because it's been a long time since we did the, the first half of the season, actually. There's been, there was that super long Legends hiatus. And then the rest of the season. So it's weird. It's just, we probably should have done one after it went on hiatus again. But never mind. Uh, it's back for one episode thing, yeah. Yeah, it's back for a couple of weeks and then it's off again. A mid-mid-season uh, podcast. Yeah. A hiatus podcast. Stick to the hiatus. All right. Yeah. So, before we begin, hit new feature, Neil Before Rise Against, where we scour the internet for good and bad stuff that's been happening in the, the world of geekery over the past, however long it's been since the last podcast. So, uh, Chris, do you want to kick us off with your kneel before? I will kneel uh, before a biopic of Marvin Gaye that is uh, moving forward with Dr. Dre, who has stepped in to produce it. When you say stepped in, is he is he filling shoes? Um, yeah, well, it's been around for a little bit, but he's now picked up the rights to it. So it's uh, sort of shuffling forward very, very slowly. Um, so he did the biopic uh, straight out of Compton in sort of 2015. So now he's pushing on to do a film about motor legend Marvin Gaye. Wow. Mm. Could be interesting. Could be. If you like that sort of stuff. Could be, could be. I mean, some of these biopic films have actually been quite good. I know we've got the one about Freddie Mercury coming out soon. I've sort of seen trailers and bits for that that has potential. These films either seem to go one way in the extreme or the other way in the extreme. There never seems to be happy middle ground. Uh, sort of that was okay. It's either everyone hates it or everyone loves it. So uh, we will see. My issue with biopics is they often just try to tell someone's entire life in like two hours. Which is just not possible, you know, you you don't have anything more than just 
little vignettes telling you little parts of, of something and there's no real impact to it because it's like we'll do this and then we'll skip ahead in our five years to where something else significant happened. You don't have time to just drink in the moment. I find that the best biopics are some about a specific period in someone's life. Mm-hmm. You know, the like the um the Queen one, I believe, is about the um the creation of Bohemian Rhapsody. So it's not about just Freddie Mercury in in his entire life. Yeah, it's got little flashes and then it takes you up to a particular event, yeah. yeah. I mean, some of those ones have been good. I mean, I really enjoyed Ray, um, about Ray Charles. Um, now, it didn't do his entire life story, but it did a large, large chunk of it. Um, same with um, Walk the Line, which was quite good as well, though it didn't sort of focus on the whole thing. It sort of took little little chunks out, so... Some of these things can work, some of them can, but I agree with you. I think trying to hit every event in someone's life is impossible because there's bits yeah. that you just can't do justice to. I remember I had the pleasure of listening to uh, a live Q&A with Stanley Tucci, and he was talking about biopics, and um, he was he was trying to get a particular one off the ground. I can't remember what it was, but he was talking about the there is no story to someone's entire life that's just... Or, may, or the story is just that, and it's more like... a and then it happened, and then that happened, and then this happens. But if you just, if you can drill into the detail of a particular moment, you know, some significant period over a couple of years, or a couple of months, or even just a week, it depends how, you know, significant someone's life was. And the, certainly to my mind, the better biopics are the ones that are, are more contained, where you've got this very tiny moment. Because mm. um, you can get a sense of who the person was from that definitive moment. As well, you know the uh, Jackie springs to mind. Yes, uh, yeah, actually, that was one I was about to yeah. raise. Is that you know it's a, a very specific period in someone's yeah. life. Yeah, and and it's yeah, this defines her. So you get a sense of what she is from then on, and a bit about her before that as well, from the the murder of her husband, because that was just something that grew to define her in the public eye and in her own life and things. So I think it's much better to. Um, it's much better to, to keep the focus. So, is there any news on this Marvin Gaye one, what it's going to do, uh, what it's focusing on? I mean, I don't know much about the guy's life, to be perfectly honest. Neither do I, which is what might make it interesting. And, you know, Dr. J is producing. Um, what kind of slant that'll end up having on it, I'm not too sure. I mean, I've been out to Detroit. I've seen the. I've, I've been in the Motown studio and stuff, so Motown's something that definitely interests me. So it sounds like this is right up my alley. Um, you know, so it'll be yeah potentially potentially interesting, um, but those are the sort of limited d- details that I have at the moment. Well, you're looking forward to it, so that's good. Yeah, justifiable. So for my Neil before, I wouldn't be surprised if you already know what it's going to be. I can take a guess, but I'm going to say it anyway because maybe, in fact, anybody who's listened to them before any podcast in the past month or two, um. We'll, we'll know what this was about. So we'll know that Lucifer was sadly cancelled and I was really bitter about it and really upset. But uh, it's back. Hey. Netflix has stepped in and saved it. Woo! Uh, and I was reading a bit more about it today as it happens. Um, it is being renewed for a 10-episode fourth season. Uh, Netflix are going to produce it, but like the, the entire production team that currently exists are just going to pick up where they left off and do stuff. Um, apparently for season four they're going to treat it as a half season so they already planned for season four to be two parts anyway 
So what they're hoping for is a season five. So we could have this crap to deal with again in about a year's time. Mm-hmm. But the so they're doing the ten episodes, and then there'll be some kind of a break, and maybe it'll come back for season five where they tell the other half of the story. So they they have it planned out. They're, they're compensating for it. Still unknown whether it will be chuck ten episodes at us at once or do it once a week. I kind of hope for the once a week because that's how the show has thrived prior to this. Um, but who knows? Who knows? But it's back, and I'm excited. Hey, well, that's that's great. I mean, I know you were very jealous when the expanse got renewed, so I'm I'm happy for you. So that that's almost your full setback now, isn't it? I know. It's like uh, like I said, uh, nothing got cancelled this year. I didn't say this on a podcast, but it sounds like nothing got cancelled this year. I suppose a few things did, but but nothing I watch. Timeless is still in the bubble. They they haven't announced anything yet for Timeless. Uh, I haven't seen season two yet though, so you know if that goes, I won't shed any tears really. But yes, everything's back. That's good. All my shows, all my stories. So my workload doesn't reduce. <laughs> Unless they chuck it at me at 10 episode chunk, because that I will struggle to cope with. Uh, well, all, all at once. Yeah. Oh, you I've just need to do a, a binge review at the end. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I'm seeing on Twitter that Shadowhunters has not been renewed yet, but I've never watched that, so... But if you're a Shadowhunters fan, fingers crossed for you that you get your show back. So that's that. So what are you rising against this week? I am going to rise against something that could go either way, to be honest, but, you know, the gods of this podcast demand a sacrifice every week in the (laughs) Rise Against feature, so the sacrificial lamb... Uh, on this particular podcast is Will Ferrell is to star in a new film based on Eurovision on the Eurovision Song Contest now I know that there will be people out there that don't know anything about the Eurovision Song Contest but if you are a UK based or a European country based listener to this podcast you will know far too much or Australian yeah or an Israelite or the other countries that aren't in Europe that are somehow that's, that's true that some that somehow know about this thing it's somehow <laughs> spread um, you will know what Eurovision is um, so he is going to star in this film it's going to be on Netflix and it is going to be called get this very imaginatively titled Eurovision oh wow yep so what is this film about do you know so it will be a sort of um, I don't really know about it. It's apparently it's not written yet, so he's mm. set to write it with the former head writer of Saturday Night Live, <laughs> guy called Andrew Steele. Uh-huh. Um, he was uh, he was filmed at this year's contest, and apparently that's when he got permission to go ahead with the film. <laughs> so he's sort of seen different stages of the competition and what takes place. Um, presumably as research. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, this sounds like it's ripe for comedy, but at the same time, it has the potential to be absolutely awful. And like I say, I've I've got to have a sacrificial lamb, therefore the Eurovision film is getting thrown there. I think actual Eurovision can be absolutely horrific to watch. Watching fake Eurovision uh, has the potential to be just as awful. What are you talking about? Eurovision's great fun. You... you, you you get a few people, a few beers, 
it's good fun. Um, I think it's. I mean, I know there will be people that I'm about to offend by saying this, but you know, I feel like it is kind of sad if you watch it on your own, because it is much shared as a mocking communal activity rather than <laughs> sitting. I'm going to seriously watch this song contest. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's the British way of watching it, is you watch it in groups so you can mock uh, contestants, including our own. Especially <laughs> our own. Especially our own. It just gets absolutely, uh, yeah. We're equal opportunity savages, so uh, <laughs> it's fine. No no one is uh, no one is exempt. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm kind of bored with the Will Ferrell shtick, so I'm inclined to agree that this will be potentially not that great. But I don't know, we'll see. I'll probably watch it because I like Eurovision. Unashamedly, unironically enjoy Eurovision. Well, it's kind of ironic because I just, I do slag it. But, you know, it is an annual event that I do look forward to. So there. (laughs) There's a bit of insight into my sad life on this very podcast. For my rise against, I'm going to stay in topic kind of with what the subject of this show, this particular episode is. Uh... They have announced that Ralph Dibney will be full-time cast member on The Flash next season. And my reaction to that when I read it was just... uh, (laughs) just (laughs) It wasn't sort of screaming at the sky and yelling no for like (laughs) an overly dramatic time in the rain with like thunder going off in the background. It was just a, a passably defeated grunt. (laughs) <laughs> just no not this again uh, I I have no problem with Hartley Sawyer I think he probably does a good enough job with what he's given it's what he's given I have a problem with I just find the character really annoying and really repetitive and I just don't want to see a full season of him because we already had a bloody full season of him near enough so another more of more of him being him is just going to be insufferable Yes, incoherent Dibney developments. Yeah, and it's just a it's a show that I struggle to watch at the best of times, and it feels like the the best of times are just being eroded away. Just now, nah, we're going to take everything good about this show and just get rid of it. You know, we'll just we'll just produce crap on a weekly basis now. That's what we're doing. That's our mission statement. <laughs> Although it's not the only cast change. I mean, I'm not rising against these particular ones. Cecile will also be a full time cast member. Uh, not that I really have an issue with that. I'm just wondering why. What has she got to give the show? She's just there. She didn't really do anything. You know, she doesn't have a purpose. She doesn't have a place. They still struggle to find stuff for Caitlin to do, so chiming in with another character is probably not a great idea. Especially full-time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the... I'm not going to spoil who it is in case you haven't seen it or haven't listened to her Flash podcast, but the char- the mysterious character played by Jessica Parker Kennedy will be full-time on the show as well, which I don't have a problem with because she is um, she's good. She has, en- she has good energy. I think she'll um, mix things up a little bit. Um, maybe she'll counter the Ralphness, or maybe she'll just become really annoying in large doses. Who knows? Yeah, I think it's a, a wait-and-see kind of thing, but <laughs> Flash has been disappointing for about two seasons on the bounce for me so uh, yeah yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those ones where it's (laughs) it's gonna have to try hard i think for me but they've (laughs) kind of got me hooked because of the fact that they do the crossovers and you always feel that you're missing something out if you don't then watch them that's why we're here that's Ah, why we're stuck i wonder if that's why a lot of the audience is watching it (laughs) 
<laughs> just like, well, I might miss something in Arrow. There might be a reference that doesn't make sense if I don't, you know, or what if I get to the crossover and I don't know what the Flash characters are doing. I, I do think there is an element of that uh, geeky version of fear of missing out. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't want to miss a, a sort of uh, funny side gag in this particular episode because I don't watch this TV show. Yeah. yeah. Damn us, nerds. We, yeah. We're our own worst enemies. Okay, on to the main event then. Uh, I suppose so. Supergirl Season 3, Part 2 and 3, I suppose, because it was split into three parts, sort of. Uh, without spoiling it, what did you think of... We'll just go with, what did you think of the season as a whole? I mean, I know that's a loaded question. Yeah, it's it's a loaded question, pre-spoiler area, but um, it was okay. It was okay. It had some elements that I really liked. It had some other bits that I just went a bit... Mm. I did not find this appointment viewing this season. Supergirl was one of the ones that when I had uh, a backlog of TV shows to try and get through... It wasn't the one that I was reaching to to go, oh, I wonder what happens next, or I'm desperate to find out what happens next. It was one that was like, oh, I can get around to that after I've watched this. And I've done catch-ups and sort of little fits and starts rather than sort of appointment viewing every week. Yeah, fair. Um, I was kind of mixed on it. I think they were doing some things really well for a while, and then I thought the last few episodes were just, I'm not going to say flash levels of bad, but they were bad. <laughs> I think they um they lost the plot and and forgot to focus on certain, uh, forgot to focus on their characters. So everything that was happening was more plot driven, and there was a lot of big things happening, or what should have been big things. But it's kind of, I don't know. They find a way to make these world altering or life altering events feel like just another day at the office, and that's really jarring because mm. if you don't have the emotional impact, then what do you have? It's just nonsense happening in front of you all the time. So it's difficult to it's difficult to remain invested when, you know, the characters don't seem invested because they're too busy moving on to the next thing. Yeah, there was a bit of that, especially towards the latter few episodes where major decisions and major um plot points and character development seem to be happening in a in sort of a single scene and then completely dropped in following scenes. You know, it just wasn't, um, yeah, wasn't very well handled. Yeah. So, shall we move to the um, the floating spoiler city? <laughs> let's let's fly into the the floating <laughs> spoiler city. Let's go for it. Let's do that. So, we'll kind of start with story as we always do. I mean, we'll feed the characters in because the the story is, should be about the characters. Um, when we last left. Supergirl, on our last discussion, she was brutally beaten by rain and put into a coma. Um, So the first episode following that Christmas break picks up with her in a coma. She's sort of in her little mind palace, mind apartment thing, uh, stuck in there trying to heal and try to escape. And she's visited by uh, Brainiac 5, um, also known as Brainy, who tries to convince her to kind of find a way out. Um, I thought that episode was pretty good, actually. I mean, you've got the whole Kara struggling with her identity arc that's been kicking about all season. You know, you've got the... I mean, she lost Monel and then got him back and didn't get him back because he was there and he was married and stuff. So she's kind of retreated into herself. 
and um, she assumes that the Supergirl side of things defines her identity when it doesn't, because it isn't until she embraces the Cara Danvers side that she's able to escape. Mm. You know, it's the the glasses appear and then there's a key. Um, I thought it was it was quite interesting. And I like the I like Brainy. I think he's a uh, he's quite manic and and fun. Yeah, I think he's been all right. I mean, a couple of the. Um uh, sort of getting film references gags and stuff were played a bit too often sometimes. You know, he would get one thing, but then he wouldn't get another, um, which was a bit sort of one way and then the other. Um, but yeah, as a character overall, I thought he was actually all right as a as an introduction. And I'm, and I'm assuming from what we've seen in the finale, he will be sticking about for a bit, potentially. Yeah, he'll be replacing um, Wynn mm. full-time. So... I'm not. I don't have a problem with that. I think he. I think he's good for the show. I'm also. Dis, I'm kind of disappointed that they came up with an excuse to get rid of his blueness. So you know, I get <laughs> the actor has to sit in hours and hours of makeup, but it's really weird that he's sitting in hours upon hours of makeup for a single minute or think it's twenty seconds of the episode before reverting back. You know, so uh, I kind of. I kind of have issues with that. Um, I think that if a character looks different, they should be allowed to continue to look different. Because otherwise you're just homogenising them and you know making them just look the same as everyone else, which kind of flies in the face of their whole inclusion message that they keep trying to send. It does a little bit, actually. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really read it as that that much. I more saw it as a uh, this actor really doesn't want to be sitting in makeup every day for that particular length of time. But yeah, potentially that it does kind of send out a bit of a negative message that way. Yeah, it's like, ah, we would never accept the real you in our society. I mean, it is a bit of a commentary on, as they do with many things, they make a bit of a commentary on modern the modern mm. world and and the way things um, play out there. You know, the, the persecution that, that people of colour in particular, for this show anyway, because of James, they, they've mentioned that a few times, you had that moving speech he made about being arrested at 14 and mm. or it was, no it was nine wasn't it it was some like, yeah some yeah it was nine that. outside yeah. the hotel yeah yeah and then they put the handcuffs around his forearms because he was so small and uh so they they've kind of hit on the race relation thing a little bit and um and, and obviously the the fact that jean takes on the guise of a black man and he does so deliberately because he doesn't want to conform to what the world wants him to be, and that's all interesting stuff. And I think, um, I think that arc could extend to Brainy as well. You know, maybe next season it is about him. I'm just going to go out in public looking like this. You know, people know aliens exist; they'll just have to deal with me. Yeah, it potentially will actually, or there'll be the realization that you know when he doesn't have his, um, I was going to say like cloaking mechanism on but I don't know what to call it they do have a name for it in the show and I can't remember what it's called it's like a diffraction thing or whatever I can't I can't remember what it's called yeah. camouflage type device um, you know you're going to end up having that malfunctioning in public or something I imagine yeah and then it'll be the realisation that yeah that he isn't maybe as accepted as he he should be yeah and whether that'll bother him or not because you haven't really seen him display human emotion as such. You've seen him kind of try to understand it. So you've got the bit where Monel seems upset and he's like, oh, this is one of those points where you might need a hot beverage or something like that. You know, it's as if Sheldon was an alien. Mm. Or it's as if Sheldon was 
Yeah, more of an alien. More of an alien than he currently is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's that kind of thing where he's uh, yeah he doesn't he is quite distanced from humanity because he doesn't quite understand it quite yet. Um, but he's he's getting there, or he will get there. I think um, he has such a short arc in this sh- season that there isn't really enough time to give him that much of an identity. But I think they must have responded well to fan feedback on him. Everybody loved him, or at least that was the impression I was getting on Twitter. Jesse Rath's uh, portrayal of him was was celebrated, and they thought they must have thought we'll need to get him on board full time if we can. Well, I think if they've known that they were aiming for a replacement win for a while, then they've probably been running through a couple of options, and if they've hit across a character that can do the same job and is liked by the fans, then, you know, they've sort of struck gold in that way. Yeah. Instead of having to sort of start the new season and go, oh, here's another tech person that we didn't really mention before. They kind of worked in the basement, but now they're going to be here, and they're going to be your best pal, so on you go. Yeah. Yeah, well, you almost had that other replacement win who was kicking about in the background sometimes who unfortunately died death by heat vision that gets through a force field. Yeah, it's, it's like, mm, we've got to decide who's going to replace when. Mm, this guy is proving too useful in the background. Do you think the fans are going to are gonna grow to attach him? No. Okay, we'll kill him off and we'll replace him with this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with Wynn's departure, actually, I kind of have an issue with that because... I mean, I get it if Jeremy Jordan wants to move on and do different things and cut back his time. I mean, reading between the lines, it suggests to me that he doesn't really get enough to do on the show and wants to maybe do his cabaret-type touring stuff because that's, you know, something that's important to him and fair play to him if that's what he wants. But um, Wynn is a character who has more potential than most of the others. Mm. You know, there, there's so much you could do with him and they started to tease that this season when... You know, with his fractured relationship with his mother that I found really interesting. Um, and the idea that he was kind of... The, the way his parent thing played out kind of knocked his confidence because he felt unwanted by his mother and obviously his dad was an evil supervillain. Uh, and after he kind of repaired that relationship with his mother, he gets that confidence, he gets that drive, he gets that ambition. And it's when he's at death's door, he says, I could have been, you know, the next Steve Jobs or... Um, or Elon Musk or whoever else, you know, mm. he just he, he kind of believes that yeah, I am potentially that good, and now if I die, I'll never get that. Uh, so being in the future, he obviously he learns that his designs are celebrated for a thousand years, apparently, uh, and that that gives him the kind of impetus he needs to find a new direction in life. That does lead me to questions. Um about time travel and such, but I, I will raise that in a second. I, I want to agree with you, first of all. I think some of the the bits that they've given this character to do, the relationship with his mum, the backstory with his dad, um, have all been really interesting, well portrayed on screen. The fact that he was sitting there going, do you know, I, I create all this technology that no one's going to get to see because I'm working for a secret organisation when actually if I was to go out and apply this in the... In the real world, I could make a proper difference and I could have a lasting legacy. You know, and he realises that on Death's Door and then he starts working on all this stuff. You know, I think there could have been some really interesting developments there. Now, my question then comes around to how time travel works in this particular universe because you're taking an inventor who apparently goes on to invent great, 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 great things unless he only invented that one great thing and then left (laughs) who you've now plucked from his timeline and taken to the future. 
Well, the suggestion is that it's not permanent. I would, I would assume so, and he could just pop back in five minutes' time and go, well, yeah. that was easy to fix. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brainy but, does say it's dangerous for AI, so he has to stay in the present and wins genius is needed in the future to solve that problem so that Brainy can go back. So in theory, if Wynn solves that problem, then he can come back and you know resume his life as normal and, I don't know, maybe start his own company or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, th- I do think he has a lot more potential than, than is being... That has been explored, and you know, there's it's almost every episode where you're like, "Oh, look, there's Win. He's sitting there at the computer again, typing stuff," you know, and that's about all he did in most episodes. And he hasn't been given a lot of relationship work with the other characters either. Even yeah. the ones, even the ones that he works with and interacts with, he's become more of a, you know, generic guy in chair role than the sort of key um, family member almost. Yeah. Is what I want to put in there, rather than just going friend. He's been sort of a part of a, the extended family in there for a bit, so it di- you didn't really get that that feeling over recent episodes, especially. He's just kind of been there in the office on the mic, going, "Oh, that person's over there right now," or "I'm detecting the widget in this particular place." So you know, go fetch. Yeah, well, he and Alex had kind of banter back and forth, uh, and. I can't remember any meaningful scene he had with Kara in a long time. Um, he had a few scenes with James, a few good scenes with James, but yeah. not really many with Kara. Yeah, and then she was his best friend and vice versa in season one. Uh, as Kara says when he's leaving, I, you were the first person I told I was Supergirl. You made my costume. It's like... You're telling me that this person is important to you, but then the show has never given us that. Not for a long time. You know, he's just... It's annoying that he's just sort of part of the furniture, because I really like him. And I actually hated him in season one. um, Because he was just... Or at least early season one, because he was just really insufferable. Like, I remember one of the the first things he said was... When when Kara was telling uh, him her secret, um, he thought she meant that she was gay and he was like oh so that's why you're not into me because you're gay and what yeah. like or he she might not be into you because you're like a slimy you know a slimy self-obsessed man baby i don't know <laughs> yeah they kind, they, kind, they kind of got rid of his pervy nature i think part way through season one didn't they where it was yeah. like he was trying to hit on anything with two legs um called cara yeah, Kokara. <laughs> um, you know, there was elements of that that just uh, that got unwritten, thankfully. And they, I think they did, you know, pretty good improvements with the character, definitely, in sort of season two. Um, and then this recent season, he's just not had that much to work with. There's elements that have been there, but, you know, it's he's not been given tons overall. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but he's always there to, you know, turn the screw, fix the thing read things off a screen watch out for this thing it's dangerous <laughs> you know, that move kind of move from the computer with the useful keyboard over to the iPad with the not quite as useful keyboard you know all that it makes a noise every time you touch it that's one <laughs> yeah just let's really that would be really annoying it would drive you mad it's what I always felt if like I was working on the USS Enterprise you know every button you press makes a beep just, I'm, I'm insane I can't deal with all these beeps <laughs> like constantly working with a microwave <laughs> pretty much yeah uh, maybe in the future they're just used to it but I don't know it's just 
technology in these things is pretty pretty ridiculous and you know uh, as a science such as the boy killing son <laughs> this son will kill any male of any species apparently <laughs> yeah that that was very strange that <laughs> i i i got that it sort of went ah it means that we can do uh girls going out and getting them episode but yeah it was a very roundabout sciencey way of doing it <laughs> yeah and the the team that she picked i mean you had live wire you had sai and was that oh imra she was on the ship as well mm-hmm. uh, and it was just another excuse to have kara without powers i mean how often do they yank that chain you know like <laughs> so many times where it's i'm gonna go into this weird alternate universe slash mind valley place i won't have powers there Oh, there, look, there's a random eclipse. No powers. Uh, well, go to this this male-killing sun. No powers there either. Um, <laughs> you know, but the, the eclipse was especially weird. The reason being is because, certainly the comics, and I believe it's been mentioned in Supergirl before as well, that um, Kryptonians are like batteries, so whenever they're exposed to a yellow sun, they charge it up. You know, they charge up like a battery. So they have, you know, and they, as long as they replenish their powers well, uh, regularly enough, they won't get weak. That's why they don't lose their powers at night, for example. Yes. You know, because they've charged up during the day. But um, as soon as the eclipse hits, she is without power. So that makes yeah, some but- sense. Batman v Superman would have been very different if Kryptonians lost their powers at night, wouldn't it? That would have been... Uh, yeah. yeah, well, you never see them during the day, so... <laughs> but by that logic, every time that the sun goes down, she should lose her powers, and that just doesn't happen. So it, so it's a, just a ridiculous contrivance to be like, I don't know, we can't afford Supergirl visual effects this episode, so we'll just have her running around still in costume. I, th- no I think it's the issue of trying to raise the stakes without having a, an onslaught of Kryptonians, which they still fall into in this season. You know, it's very difficult with someone as powerful as Supergirl or Superman or any of these characters, really. And I've mentioned it in several of the other podcasts. When you get the, all these superpowered individuals into one room, you've then got to find a way of making the situation dangerous for them. Otherwise, there's no threat for the viewer when they're sitting there like, oh, well, they're definitely going to survive this. I mean, but the thing is, overall, you're like, well, the show's titled after her. I doubt she dies in episode two. Um, You know, it's, it's one of those. It's like, damned if they do, damned if they don't. So a lot of the time, they've got to go into the situation, right, how can we depower her this week? Um, We will use the kryptonite cannon or an, an eclipse, or we will create some form of weird, wacky sun that, that depowers her, but keeps other people running, you know? Yeah, although Supergirl's always done pretty well with the whole power level thing, because, you know, she is always fighting people that can take her. So the fact that you've got Rain in the other world, mm. powers, they are, you know, they're they're a match, if not better than her, uh, in terms of a physical confrontation. So you don't need to have this depowering every week. You know, and the thing is, when you get to, um, when they went to Fort Ross, she didn't have her powers, but Rain still did. So I guess the idea is, oh my god, Kara is even more screwed than she would have been before. But at the same time, she's, you know, she would be equally in danger if she had her powers. Mm. 
especially when there was like the other Kryptonian on there, you know, the Kryptonian, whatever it was, the, the priestess or whoever, whoever she was. I don't. I don't remember that episode that well. I mean, I remember like the whole, the the whole point of it was for Kara to talk to women that aren't in her life very often about um, about her problems, and you you know, and I think Livewire is always a good foil for her because she just tells it like, or not quite like it is, but how she sees it. So she's like blunt. So she, you know, she was um, almost a supportive best friend when it came to the Monel Imra situation. She was like the. Oh yeah, I totally hate that bitch. You know, yeah. There was a yeah. couple of scenes like that where she was like, "Yeah, I really hate that the future might just have women who look like that." You know, like, <laughs> yeah, she's she's too attractive. You can't uh, can't be having this. What a horrible future this must be. Hmm. <laughs> where are all the ordinary women? But it's what it's a CW show as well. So like that, God knows. <laughs> you know, they're all unspeakably <laughs> attractive. Um, I wonder if that that's like in the small print of the casting sheets. It's like looking for, you know, looking for Caucasian female aged whatever to whatever must be attractive. <laughs> um, I don't know. But but that I thought that was a good episode in that sense, you know, they had the the suicide squad angle, you know, the uh Cara putting together her female suicide squad. Yeah, pe- people who are dispensable and <laughs> who will not be missed as I take them away, you know. Yeah. And will still be useful to me when I do take them. And I like to begrudging exp- respect that happened at the end when Kara said to Sai, you can have a window. Give her a cell with a window. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of movement. I don't know. I don't know what potential these characters have in the future, but um, but they were they were okay. And Livewire is now dead, I think. So that's a shame. Um, she was a good recurring menace for, for Kara, I think. It seems to have fallen by the wayside, but she's now apparently dead. If if such people can be dead. No one dies in the show anyway, as we will come on to eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so we had two other world killers that were out there. Uh, the first one we saw was Julia, I think her civilian name was. Uh, yes. And, and they went down the route of, she isn't intrinsically evil. She was, she's kind of, she's overpowered by this possessing entity I suppose I mean the once again the physics are ridiculous the whole oh when you become rain or when you become uh, what's that one pestilence no, she wasn't one. pestilence she was um, something else purity 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 yeah. 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 So, so when you become rain and when you become purity your DNA is temporarily rewritten until you turn back it's like that's not how DNA works. You can't just change it and change it back. <laughs> That's nah, nah. Like, yeah, your your cells are one hundred percent human now, forever. Apparently, what? Well, thank God for that. And you know, I, I would have thought there would have been some change there, but no, one hundred percent me. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's like, mm. Uh, to, to be fair, they were showing one hundred percent you before, and we didn't spot it. So you yeah. Know. <laughs> it's because your DNA is just getting rewritten and rewritten back and I seem, to, I seem to remember in the Flash season 1 when Barry lost his powers where it was like your DNA has changed it can't just change back you know like when he became the Flash his DNA changed fundamentally so mm. like he always had that potential within him he could maybe lose his speed but he was always he would always be a speed force conduit because of just what happened to his DNA after the accident so I find myself a bit confused by that 
but whatever. <laughs> it's just nonsense science. You know, the uh, I mean, they do mention Kryptonian dark magic in this scene <laughs> quite casually. It's like, what's causing this eclipse? Kryptonian dark magic. It's like, well, of that course. clears that up. <laughs> Thank God, yeah. I thought you were going to come up with a science explanation. Kryptonian dark ma- magic sounds quite uh, quite plausible now in this situation. So I would love for this? there to be a comic science convention. <laughs> you know, like made-up science convention. I, you know, I think that would work. If, well, if sure no one's exists. done that already, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there will be one somewhere. Yeah. Uh, question is, is that eclipse? And actually, have they physically moved the moon, or is it some kind of... Hologram. An art, artificial eclipse? How do you yeah. do an artificial eclipse? Well, I suppose you would get a hologram of the moon that sits between National City and the, the sun. You know, it'd be like... Mis- well, it'd be but almost it would need, like, but it would uh, need to be like a solid hologram because the sun would still penetrate yeah, it because you've got to then, block the actual rays and the radiation coming through, which is what actually... Yeah, dark magic. It's a dark, dark magic. Dark magic, yeah. Let's just, yeah. just leave it as dark magic and yeah. move along. Yeah, there's nothing but to see here. It'd be like Mr. Burns' sun-blotting out device. <laughs> it just moves, you know, it just keeps moving as the earth moves Yeah, to keep the sun blocked out. Uh, it's, they've moved into the realm of dark magic, so whatever. It's all just nonsense at this point. But it back doesn't... to my original point, uh, purity... Uh, so Julia was fighting against being purity. You know, you had that. There was this one of the stronger episodes of the season, actually, where she was just flipping between the two, and whenever purity was in charge, she was this kind of manic, uh, manic manipulative, just kind of crawlingly evil persona. And then you had the the flip side of that was the Julia persona, who was you know very kind and, and sweet and put upon, and. You had her sacrifice herself twice, once in that episode to save Kara by um, by giving herself over to Rain, and then the second time was when she died. But that was really cool. I, I really liked that angle, and it, it very much fed into the Kara. I'm going to save, you know, I'm going to defeat the world killers by saving them, by appealing to the human half of them. That's like how I'll win. And whether that's misguided or not is up for debate, but it makes sense for her to want to save them really, rather than just beat everyone up. and I like that approach. I do very much like and appreciate the whole, yeah, I'm not convinced that everyone's intrinsically evil. I want to help them rather than kill them or destroy them or defeat them. It makes it more difficult to fight them knowing that there's a, an innocent person on the inside. You know, it, it adds that extra layer. I liked the aspect of this where they were all fighting against their their alter ego so you know sam didn't want to be rain julia didn't want to be purity you know it was it was it was almost a a sort of horror element to it you know you're transforming to this person and you've got no control over it whatsoever you just wake up and you've got no recollection of what you've done in the meantime you know, so I liked the way they handled that. I thought Julia was, like you say, it was quite a nice foil. You know, you've got this really sweet person who sort of sacrifices herself in the end. And then, you know, and even um, once um, Supergirl gets in there and manages to basically convince her to fight back. Yeah. You know, to regain control. Like you say, she sacrifices herself again. Yeah. The exception to that is Pestilence, or Grace, who's completely mm. given herself over to this evil side of her. She's like, yep, yeah, I'm fine with this. 
I'm going to use this disease to kill like corrupt bankers and all this kind of stuff. And it's very much the ragging against the 1% that, that Supergirl enjoys mm. doing as a show. Uh, it's just one of those things. But um, it's not a point it labours too heavily. But I like the idea that, yeah, I'm just, I just gave in to this temptation a long time ago. And, and you see the representation of in this weird valley place of just Grace mm-hmm. dead on the floor because the human side of her has been killed and can't be reasoned with. And that does force Kara to think about things a bit differently because she is she is unable to save pestilence. It can't happen. You know, it's impossible. There is no good to appeal to at that stage. Mm. Although the, the way they deal with the two world killers after spending so long introducing them is a bit weak. You know, having them dealt with in a single action sequence. Um, yeah, it was a kind of one action sequence, and then they're all merged into one even bigger foe again. Yeah, um, who you then need to defeat. So, yeah, it was a bit, a bit rapid in its uh, dismantling. Well, I mean, if the whole point was to have um, the, the three world killers pave the way for a more powerful reign that had the powers of all three, fair enough. But I think they should have spent more time having the three world killers to establish that as a threat that's very difficult to defeat. And then, rather than the quite easy fight that they all have uh, at that point where, you know, it does end in a massive victory and, you know, the the fortress is destroyed, two out of three world killers are dead. Um, Rain is, I think, captured at the end of that one, isn't she? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, it's all looking good for Team Supergirl and... Obviously, it's supposed to build to the rain is actually more dangerous than all of the. She's more dangerous because she's now all of them combined. Um, and oh, by the way, the future's fixed now. There is no blight, and I kept <laughs> thinking to myself, surely, like, surely, rain getting all those powers—that is what causes the blight. It has to be. Well, there was part of me thinking, like, well, if they don't cure her and she breaks out, she can still cause the blight. Yeah. And because, you know, and I think what they came up with was the fact that the blight was able to mutate as well. Yeah. You know, they could kind of change it. Now, the fact that it was then merged in with Sam would then mean it was a completely different strain that would break out. Yeah. Well, I was kind of buying into the idea that the that Imra and Monel and Brainy were the cause of the thing they were trying to prevent. Mm. You know, I thought that was the route they were going to do, go down. So I thought they would maybe go back to the future uh, and then... Um, Imran and Brainy would come back and be like jeez, did we screw up we have Oops. made things a lot worse <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, turns out that's how the blight's caused uh, we're back to help you defeat Rain and that's that's cool uh, uh, and then Imran says I think there's a love triangle I need to participate in so I'm here for that too um, I actually appreciated that they didn't lean into the love triangle side of it but what they replaced it with wasn't anything interesting either. You know, you had the, the bit where Imra says to Monel, I'm going to go off to the future, you stay here, you figure things out, and I'll go along with whatever you say. So if you decide that, that Kara's the one for you, this marriage is over, all questions asked, uh, no more questions asked, we're fine, I understand that you need to work through this, bye. And then you have a couple of episodes of Monel and Kara dancing around each other bef- before nothing happens, really. Yeah. It makes it feel like the time that they spend together is kind of wasted, and the relationship does feel kind of stilted. And um, I don't know. I it, I just feel like spending too much time on that relationship, with especially with it not going anywhere, takes too much time away from 
other more interesting connections that Kara could be messing around with. Yeah, it does. It doesn't really sizzle in the way it did in the previous season at all. And when I say sizzle, I don't think it particularly did in the second (laughs) season either, to be honest. But, you know, it's it's one of those ones where their relationship doesn't doesn't progress even when he's given the permission to actively pursue essentially not a particular like wording that I want to use but I'm trying to think yeah. of something better to say you know he's being told if if she is the person that you want then you've got to you know if that's your decision you go for it kind of thing and then he doesn't really he sort of floats about not quite committing to either option uh, for the whole time and she doesn't actively pursue him either so you end up this weird will they won't they but you kind of know okay well it's going to be a they will because it keeps coming back to that so it's not like the default option is okay they will but they just keep toying with it a little bit but it's kind of lost its interest now yeah and uh, Chris Wood won't be back next season apparently He's off. At least not as a main character capacity. He may turn up here and there, but he's gone. So it's weird. I mean, the the goodbye they shared in the final episode there was a bit stilted. And, you know, the the thing is, whether I was invested in the relationship or not last season, I thought the the last scene they shared together in the the final episode of season two was, was, you know, was, was quite emotionally charged. It was well acted between the two of them. And then... This one, it was. We'll talk a bit about Greek myths, not really understanding that myth at all. Um, you know what was it? The myth of Persephone, um, who is only stuck in the underworld for like uh, some most of the year. That's why we have winter. <laughs> <laughs> um, never mind. Uh, they just don't understand. It's fine. But they, they, so they rabbit on about that, and Monel is like, I just need to go back to my future. Oh, and by the way, my relationship or my marriage to Imra is dissolved because she's like, it's fine, I've realised it wasn't really for me anyway. So what, they're just going to be like ex-husband and ex-wife on a, on the Legion team now. You know, the, I feel like the, it was very odd. And I also feel like something changed between the first half of the season and the second half of the season. Because in the first half, they were very couple you know, you would see them, they would go out and they would eat chicken wings and, you know, enjoy the, the, the past and whatever else. And then after that, there was a much more stilted business arrangement a type connection between them. So I wonder if they, I don't know, I wonder if someone decided, someone on high decided, let's get rid of this love triangle connection thing. And that's, you know, let's really play up the arranged marriage side of it that neither of them really wanted to be a part of. Yeah, it does It does seem like there was kind of a flicking of a switch part way through. It wasn't like a gradual transition. It was more like a, this is not a thing anymore and we're not going to, we're not going to go for it. I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things, I think it's a bit of a shame if he's not going to be coming back. I don't think the character was particularly terrible in any way, but... You know, we'll we'll wait and see what actually happens. I, for one, won't miss him, to be honest. I think that he was interesting enough in season two because he had that alien quality to him where he just didn't understand things. You know, he ripped stuffing out of his mattress to bring it to a Thanksgiving dinner and, and all this kind of stuff. But I just thought he was kind of boring this season. 
there was nothing to him. You know, he just cut about and he said wise things and he was always very calm and it was just boring. There was very little drama there. Um, even the conversations they had with Kara were kind of grown up and, you know, less emotionally charged. So you had the bit where Monel says to her, I have to tell you about so- something about Imra. And she's just like, nah, I don't need to hear this. This is mm-hmm. like a personal issue. Just get away. It's karaoke night. Piss off. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to hear it. And that's like a very mature and reasonable reaction. And I think it's the right reaction. But other than that, you didn't really seem to have any difficulty. They just they were very kindred. You know, they just the, the way they interacted. Um, and obviously, he, uh, he teaches her cape tricks. Which they milk for all it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> they use in every fight scene after. Uh, yeah. yeah. These shower curtain capes that can wrap around stuff. Yeah, because why why reach over and grab someone's hand with a gun when you can get your cape to do it? Well, they did some cool stuff with them. I liked the tandem flip round they did when uh, they were fighting rain that time. That was pretty cool. Uh, they, they were cool, but overused. It just felt like a crutch they were leaning on. And I wonder if uh, I wonder if Kara could have been using a cape trick in the finale, instead of travelling through time. Feels like that, that that's something she could have done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's it is an time travel because time travel. Yeah, it is an interesting new addition to um, to her 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 power set and her skill set because. It gives the cape a purpose, whereas it doesn't really have one before. Apart from it apparently aids with aerodynamics. I, d- I did like that kind of explanation in season one where it's like, why do people wear capes? Oh, that's why they wear capes, okay. Yeah, but there's a- you see other people that can fly. For instance, when you had Non and uh, Astra kicking about, they were flying about quite happily without a cape. Very true. So it's it's clearly not a problem. But yeah, I found a use for it. It's fine. I'd like to see Batman doing a cape trick. He probably does. (laughs) He probably can. Maybe she could teach Superman if he ever shows up again. (laughs) (laughs) Superman, at one point I was like, did Superman die between seasons? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there was very little mention up until the finale where there was like a a little background TV announcer going, and Superman has saved uh, this. Superman saves Madagascar. Madagascar, that's it. Yeah, so like, oh, that that's good to know. Cheers, cheers, Clark. Um, yeah, th- thanks for still thanks, existing. Yeah. It was like good, good, good to know you're still around, Clark. That would be good. She doesn't even get texts from him anymore. He just leaves her to it. It's like is the world ending, Kara? You know, it'd be nice to get a heads up here. You know, <laughs> well, he's not even ever mentioned at points where he should <laughs> be mentioned. You know, the not quite there yet, but the thing that we. The the thing that Kara discovers is kind of something that Clark should probably know about. I I do feel that if there was a visit being arranged to said place, that you would maybe invite your cousin. Uh, I'm Instead just putting of it out there. Yeah, I mean, as much as Monel <laughs> would be welcome to tag along, it seems like something the the cousin should go off and do. Yeah, uh, but we'll we'll get to that shortly. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed with Lena this season. I mean, I've always been impressed by her. I think she's really interesting. But they they seem to be moving away from the she's evil, she might be evil type storytelling, which was really pissing me off because every every week it was like, is she evil? No. Is she evil? No. 
Will she will she work with her mother? Nope. Will she work with this other villain? Nope. You know, it was just every week. It's like, right, I get it. She's a good person. You have to like keep testing her like this. Is so, is she secretly plotting? Oh, got you again. No, uh, no, so, that's it. Yeah. She's actually nice and wants to benefit everyone. So what you've but what they set up was a conflict where Lena is we'll say in brackets sorry, we'll say in quotation marks, the villain because her point of view is different to Kara's, but it's a reasonable point of view, because they lean into the fact that she's very solitary. So she doesn't have a lot of friends. She doesn't have a lot of people that she considers close or trusts. So she just forges on and does stuff herself. So she discovers that Sam and Rain are one and the same, because it's like, hang on, every time you mysteriously black out is when Rain shows up. It's almost like when ever. Kara disappears. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, no, no. Do, uh, those are two different things. <laughs> I do, I do, I do feel that those two deductions should have arrived around about the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. Oh, and also, your sister works at the super secret alien organization. With uh, yeah, I think. Also, uh, your boyfriend was an alien prince. You're yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of a lot of things, and you work with James, who is yeah. guardian, who is. Working with Supergirl. Oh, this is all uh, making yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, Hang on, but she when does. Is, when is uh, your best friend? <laughs> and he also works for this organization. It's like, wow, it looks like the only person without ties to this organization is you. Imagine that. Yeah. What <laughs> but a again, shocker. Yeah, that's the conceit. Unless you, unless we adopt the Cat Grant philosophy, uh, she already knows she just doesn't let on. But again, that that's a contrast to what we know about this kind of tr- this tenuous relationship that happens. Because, so when Lena discovers that Sam is Rain, or that Rain is Sam, or that they're one and the same, whatever way you want to frame it, mm. uh, she locks her up in a lab and runs some tests, but it's for Sam's own good. And I understand why it's for Sam's own good. So Rain is dangerous, let's lock her up, We'll solve. The, I will solve this problem, and then we won't have Rain anymore. Problem solved. I don't see any reason to involve anyone else, because I'm trying to help my friend. I don't want her secret coming out to anyone who doesn't need to know it. So Supergirl doesn't need to know this secret. The public don't need to know this secret. If I solve this problem, there will be no problem. Sam will continue her life and there'll be no more rain. Everyone's happy. So her point of view is incredibly valid there. And then you have Kara coming in saying, why didn't you tell me? I had a right to know, blah, blah, blah. And then, so they, they argue and argue about this. And it's a really interesting argument because I... Because it is the two sides of it. Kara feels like she should know about this because Rain is her enemy. She needs to. She try to stop it, etc., etc. Lena is coming from a place of love and support, trying to help her friend. So, and I love the fact that when she's interrogated about it, she doesn't apologize. She's like, "No, I'd do mm. it again. Like this is, as far as I'm concerned, it was the right thing to do." And then she does acknowledge that maybe if she shared the information, they could have helped come up with a solution together. But it just never occurs to her because she doesn't think about involving other people, and that's just the way she's wired. You know, she's wired to just not, not look for help. Yeah, I mean, the person that she trusts the most is her. I mean, it definitely shows her as a. You know, a very capable scientist in her own right. She comes up with a lot of deductions and solutions all on her own, um, which I think is great. Like you say, I think it's brilliant that they've dropped the is she, isn't she evil angle. 
in putting her more at odds on a it's not a philosophical a different a different more like an ideological it is yeah sort of an ideological difference between her uh, and Supergirl slash Kara I think is a better way of doing it rather than pitching them against each other in a fight I think it's a lot better having this in the background the fact that she is keeping secrets but she doesn't really see keeping secrets as being a bad thing it's more that she's sitting there going well no one needs to know this I've got a right to hold whatever I want to hold or build whatever I want to build you know, it's if it becomes an issue, then I can tell someone. Until it becomes an issue, I can keep it to myself. Yeah. And then you had all the, the issues around, how are you keeping rain at bay, kryptonite? I didn't know you had kryptonite. And this is the part that starts to fall apart for me, because Kara ah, yeah. does seem to be very... She's very funny about kryptonite. Um, even though, it's, by the way, there are killer kryptonians like every year or so. So... Keeping a bit of kryptonite in the drawer, probably a good idea. You know, it's it's a good idea. I mean, you had um, Superman very funny about kryptonite last season. You know, where where he was facing up against John for a little while, and he um he left with the kryptonite and hid it somewhere, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there was that, but you've got the whole kryptonite thing, and you know, and they have this argument about Lena's. Lena says there's like a million things on the planet that can kill her. She gets in a car every day, even though it can kill her, etc., uh, etc. Et Which is a bit of a weird argument, but I get—I don't understand why Kara is so like uptight about the existence of kryptonite on Earth at all. I, I kind of feel it's one of those things, like you say, there is a Kryptonian villain that pops up every five minutes. Why would you not want there to be some kryptonite in the hands of? the DEO, for example. You know, I I get the argument that, well, that just means that someone can steal it from the DEO and then it's out and about in the wilds. But at the same time, Lena's not suggesting sort of lining the streets with kryptonite. She's saying it's here as a last resort if it needs to be used. And I, you know, I see her side of the argument as well. You know, I can walk out and I can get stabbed, shot, you know, hit by a bus, whatever, you know, the world is full of dangers for me. You've got one, one danger out there, you know. Yeah. Other than the super strong aliens that try to kill her every week. But, you know, that's a separate <laughs> issue. Yeah, so, like, Kara's mortality is... extends to more than kryptonite in this show, though. They, as I said, there are aliens that can handle her. You know, Rain is a, a very physical threat that can kill her. You know, purity was that... Pestilence presumably also did that. The fact that she loses her powers once a week, for, <laughs> you know, for a period of time, there's all sorts of things that you know that can harm her and can kill her. And um, so the fact that she's getting hung up on this one thing, it just seems to be there to manufacture conflict. But um, I did find it quite interesting that Lena was very much the uh, said to Supergirl, Kara as Supergirl, like we're not friends. I'm working with you because it suits my interests at this point. When this crisis is over, we'll go our separate ways and I'll do whatever I want. I don't have to report to you. I don't owe you anything. Uh, I will make my own kryptonite if I want because I think it's necessary to defend us as a species and, and all this stuff. And then Kara's trying to maintain the friendship because she has the friendship in her civilian identity. And I love that Lena's like, why are you so fixated on us being friends? We're not friends. And then... 
and to really stick the knife in, you had that, I guess, the one conversation that she has with civilian Kara, like, pretty much this season, or this half of the season, was the whole Supergirl is manipulative, she lied to me, she turned my friends against me, you know, where she gets James to break into the vault. Mm. I thought that was cold, and I can understand why she did it, but it's also not a forgivable action. You know, and it's like, I have people manipulating me all the time. This is how my mother treated me. So, yeah, don't like Supergirl that much. And Kara's like, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realise. And uh, now I can't tell Lena who I really am because she doesn't like the other half of me. We have a problem here. I I keep coming round to that. I thought this season Lena was going to find out. I I definitely thought she was going to find out this season. But it seems that she just hasn't put two and two together yet, I presume. It's that conversation, I thought, was one of the stronger bits because you were seeing... It's one of those things that if you could put on another face and hear what other people think of you Mm. and hear their conversation about you, how would you act differently to them and your other guys? And... Like you say, she's trying to repair the relationship from both sides, but she can't. It it just won't work. You know, Supergirl has betrayed Lena's trust, which takes a lot to earn in the first place. You know, it's it's a working relationship now. It's not a friendship at all. Yeah. And it never was, I suppose. I mean, she had no reason to be Supergirl's friend. It was just... True. Yeah, there there was a bit of a convenience to it. I think the... You know, Supergirl was helpful in certain ways, but then, and I, I found it interesting that they she very specifically referenced, this is what my mother does to me. You know, I I can mm. never trust anyone who treats me like that. That's it. You know, they've got one chance and that's it. And then, um, I guess that's maybe something Kara didn't realize about herself, or she didn't realize that that's the kind of damage she was doing. Uh, but it doesn't make it forgivable. You know, she should have realized that. And, um. And that, that kind of mistrust is a failing on her part rather than Lena's because um, she doesn't trust Lena to have kryptonite and she doesn't trust her when she says that she doesn't have kryptonite. However, she was lying. But then it's her lie to tell. You know, she had, as far as she's concerned, she doesn't owe it to anyone. But I thought that Kara using James to break into the lab, saying to James, break into the lab for me, when she knew about the connection that James and Lena had or have, um, is is low, you know. You shouldn't be doing that, pitting people against each other like that. No, that was a bit manipulative and pushing him into a situation he shouldn't have been put in in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I did think it was a good bit of character development that James didn't. Yeah. It, it was actually a bit of genuine action there that I thought was like, oh, actually, that's quite quite neat that he's done that I thought they were going to go down the obvious line of he does break in and then keeps it from Lena but I quite like the opposite way where he just he fessed up yeah well yeah he admits to being guardian he admits to all Mm. this and 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 it's great and I mean that conversation between Cara and Lena was was really interesting I don't think I think they missed a trick by not showing them together again later on Uh, because there is a lot to play with there, you know, the awkwardness that could develop in that friendship. Kara has to sit there and pretend like everything's okay when she knows that Lena doesn't really like a part of her, a big part of her. 
Yeah, they didn't really do the friendship angle as much in the second half of the season as they did in the first, which I think would have made the betrayal a little bit bigger or a little bit more of a relationship impact. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree with you with that, actually. I think that would have been neater to see. Well, now that now that I think about it, wouldn't it be quite cool if, um, because Kara and Sam are good friends as well, wouldn't it be quite funny if Lena said to Kara, I have to show you something, and takes her down to the lab, and it's like, oh yeah, Sam has, has got some issues, and I'm trying to like solve them, mm. and then she has to kind of pretend she doesn't know about it as Supergirl, because how would she know about it as Supergirl, yeah. you know, they, they could have like really done stuff with that. It would have been good to have that kind of conflict, actually, of, yeah. uh, you know, oh, do you want me to tell Supergirl? No, don't tell her. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, okay, so I've got to pretend that I don't know when I do, and yeah. These are the more interesting things about dual identity as well, because, I mean, you, you can have the, oh, Carl, where were you? You just missed all the action. Or you can have the, the Smallville repetitious, Clark, you're never around when I need you. I'm really pissed off that you keep leaving and... At these opportune moments, and that's something that happens in Spider-Man comics all the time. It's like Peter Parker is never around. You're so unreliable. We can't depend on you. And that's to a point that works, but it's played out and it's boring. But when you have like two distinct identities, such as Superman and Clark Kent, or Supergirl and Kara, you can have these stories where the the two personalities are played against each other, and the two sides have different relationships with different people. Um, so the you've got this. Um, Lena doesn't trust Supergirl but still trusts Kara thing. And that almost justifies why she can't see the can't see the fact that her f- best friend's face is looking, you know, she's looking <laughs> at the eyes of her best friend because it's like she could never imagine Kara doing that to her. Yeah, I suppose so, but <sighs> I'm I'm I'll admit it's reaching, but when the, when the, when yeah. this betrayal or when this this you know, guys has finally given up, which has got to happen at some point. You know, and it, you, it would be a lot better coming from Kara than it would be Lena finally putting, you know, two and two very obvious things next to each other, going, "Ah, look." <laughs> yeah. Well, what Kara would have to do is make a decision to, in order to save their friendship, to come clean, just like accept the consequences and I guess the natural fallout of that is Lena is like I can't believe you did this to me and you know have you any idea how much you upset me with your um, your actions uh, the the way you treated me the way you put James against me I can't believe that my friend would do this to me and then you have a bit of angst around that for a few episodes as they don't like each other or whatever or maybe it is um, maybe it does just drive that permanent wedge you know like Go back to Smallville. That was about the the dissolving of Clark Kent and Lex Luthor's friendship, mm. and it just gets to a point where Clark has made one too many mistakes around Lex, and Lex no longer trusts him. And Clark's not there to help Lex be a better person at a given point. So he, he essentially goes down the route to villainy. Uh, I I think that would be played out if it happened here, and I still think that Lena is a fundamentally good person. But if she loses that tether to normality through her friends. You know, if she casts Kara out of her life, maybe James's the relationship with James doesn't work out for whatever reason, and she is just truly on her own. What does Lena do then? Mm. You know, what is, um, what is her life like? Does she just become colder, more detached? 
not evil as such, but like more oppositional. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot that can be done with villains that think they're the hero. Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying that Lena should become a villain, but I just you know I think as an oppositional force to Team Supergirl. Mm. Um, so you have contrived. I suppose you would have a bunch of contrived. We need to save the world together, but this is just a business arrangement. So you would still have that, but you would maybe have I don't know since. Lena runs the newspaper, uh, makes it difficult for Kara at work, I don't know. Um, all sorts of stuff. I don't know how petty she would be, to be honest. She doesn't seem like the type. But, but Kara's, like... now, Kara's never at work anyway, so it won't make much of an impact. And I'm pretty sure she left, actually, <laughs> uh, in her farewell montage. I'm pretty sure she just quit, you know, so mm. um, I don't know. We'll get on to that, though. <laughs> uh, stay tuned, listeners. Uh, so the the Sam and Lena thing was interesting. Um, just Sam like wanting to heal herself because of Ruby, uh, and I liked the impact that had on Ruby, where she didn't know for a while. People were like lying to her. She was hidden in a mansion, an invisible mansion <laughs> that that had the uh, Superman One trials. You know the the machine guns, the the ice, the fire, yeah, the fire, yeah. That was cool. Just right lifted out of Superman. Uh, the movie. It's great. Um and then Ruby eventually finds out. But the the rapport she builds with Alex is, is quite interesting. I like the little the little bits of parenting lessons that Alex was getting as she was going on. You know, she was she was in love with the romance of just having a child. You know, it's like I want to have a child, I want to raise this child, be a positive influence and then but she starts to realise, oh wait, they're their own person. So Ruby isn't always going to do what I say. I'm not always going to be able to say the right thing to to make her feel better about herself. I can't just win her over with gifts. All that stuff. And still by the end, she still wants to be a mother. So like, she sees all these difficulties and she's like, well, I didn't really consider those, but I'll take them. You know, but She gets them. through them. And like you say, she does learn lessons through yeah. it as well. I did like Lexi's like, <laughs> not seeable from space, hidden hidden castle, <laughs> fortress dungeon. You know, It was very neat. I, I did like that. Although, I like um, that Lex has still got all this stuff lying around. Yeah, why like every, every every once in a while, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, my brother totally has one of them in yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Although Alex was really stupid, a leaving her phone out, and apparently b not having a lock code of some sort, <laughs> so that so that Ruby could just pick it up and phone her mother or or whatever, you know, like that's that's ridiculously stupid levels of contrivance. That that is a bit for for a government agent. Yeah, Alex like, should know yeah, better than that. Just leave my phone unlocked. Say, yeah, yeah, just leave fine. my phone on this table and unlocked. What an idiot! <laughs> it's it's one of these bizarre things where it's like, okay, we need the story to happen, so let's just have temporarily. Let's just have this character take leave of their senses. Forget everything they've learned. Forget everything they should know. It happens on both sides, though. It happens on villain side, and it happens on the you know the good guys team. Is like you, one or the other needs to slip up in order for things to happen. You know, yeah. you need you need to leave the human alive in the corner and assume they're dead so they can activate the distress beacon. Yeah. You need to <laughs> you need to allow Ruby to have that phone call in order to uh, pinpoint the location of the the base. Yeah. yeah. And the thing about Ruby um, and the effect it had on her, I mean, I liked the way they did it, but I think that I assumed that the whole linchpin to defeating Rain would involve Ruby in some way, and it didn't. 
It's ah, uh, we need to drink the right water. That that's what solves <laughs> the problem, apparently. It's you know, it's just the last crusade ending again, isn't it? Drink from the right cup. <laughs> ah, you chose wisely. Yes. <laughs> you chose yeah. your fifty-fifty chance. It's like no, 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 no. To make yourself stronger, you need to drink this rancid water. Apparently, yeah. there, there was there was elements of that 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 came true though. That Ruby was an influence on Sam and helped her sort of break through every once in a while. She was still exerting control, and it was her bond to Ruby that really pulled her out uh, every once in a while. But yeah, yeah it but wasn't it the wasn't end. the it wasn't the one thing that that cured it. It was yeah. It was the the sort of uh, magic mix that Lena came up with that that did it. Well, when they separated Sam and Rain, uh, I thought it was a stupid idea anyway. Especially when they were still connected. As one gets weaker, the other gets stronger. It's like that's that's dumb, but whatever. And um, they really missed a trick on how to um, on, on having Sam face down her dark side, the the physical representation of her darker self. And you know they did it a little bit, but but it wasn't a f- huge a huge plot point. You know, you just had Sam run up to Rain with a sword and then stab her, and then not do that because the timeline changed. Yeah, she sort of, she gets to punch her about in the dark valley space instead. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't get her moment with the sword. No, it's a bit dumb. Um. And then that's just kind of resolved. Apparently, Odette Annabelle wouldn't be back as a full-time cast member next season, which makes sense because what left? What's left? What can she do now? You know that is true. It's like what, and that's where these programs struggle sometimes. Is they have a one-season arc for a particular character, and they don't get rid of them at the end. They kind of limp along from another season, and you're like, yeah. I, I don't know why you're still here. What, what's going on? I think if they have them dropping in every once in a while to show, oh, this character still exists, you know, I, I in the same way that I don't quite understand how Clark has been completely erased in this season mm. in comparison to the last. I was not expecting him in every episode or in a high number of episodes, but I did spe- expect a couple of appearances. Yeah. Especially when you're getting into the grand stakes towards the end of the season. Yeah. I think it's like, oh, I'll call on um, who's on my team here. I've got the, the sort of Legion um, and I've got um, John and the people at the DEO. Um, why don't you call your cousin? No, he'll be too busy anyway. Uh, and I'll take Guardian. <laughs> it's like, yeah. um, why don't you call Clark? No, no, no. I'm taking Guardian. <laughs> it's like, okay, fair enough. No, no. I'm sure. I'm sure Clark has his own stuff going on. Yeah, he's he's yeah. busy. He's doing like things and stuff. And I, I think he's changed his phone. I don't have his new number. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's uh, and it's a bit awkward. You know, I know I could like fly over there and pretty much call him right now, uh, but uh, no. It's, let's just leave him. <laughs> he doesn't exist at the moment. Yeah, and I don't want it to be a crutch that they're leaning on, but I suppose that's the problem when you cast a particular actor to play Superman in your TV show. You know, I can't imagine Tyler Hoechlin can afford to just wait by the phone for every time they want him to turn up for an episode. You know, it's something that would have to be worked around his schedule and all this kind of stuff. So, like, I'm guessing for last season when they hired him, uh, it was like, right, well, why don't you do the first two episodes of the season and uh, maybe the last one? Yeah. 
Yeah, and then and they, they've got the potential if they know exactly what they're aiming for that they can film it sort of out of sequence for that particular element. Yeah, but I'd still think it's a bit strange to just suddenly have the character not even doing what they did in season one with the sort of text convo styley stuff. Yeah, and very limited mentions as well, or even just yeah, just mention them here and there. So yeah, I think I think. If they do that with Sam next season, I think it would be a bit of a shame. I think they need to give her a little bit of face time to show that she's still there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, they'll just slowly edge her out after that. Although I seem to recall that Cat Grant was supposed to turn up more than what, once. <laughs> um, they'd mentioned That's that true, Calista actually, Flockhart yeah. was, was signed up for a few episodes here and there and she would appear throughout the season, but that didn't happen, uh, which is a shame. Um, I don't I think like she even picked up on the TV a couple of times, did she? She didn't no, even do no, sort of TV styley, no. you know, like interview appearances. Or it wasn't stuff. after the first couple of episodes, anyway. That's mm. for sure. But um, I don't know. I feel like Sam could almost be. Uh, well, I don't know what what she knows about journalism, but what does apparently what does James know about journalism other than <laughs> everything? Apparently, because being a freelance photographer means that you can be a CEO of a multinational media corporation. Who knew? But uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, Sam could be in that spot, you know, the the um, Catco spot, if she knows that kind of stuff. Maybe that's where they should have put her in the first place. I don't know. Um, which would have really stepped on James's toes because he was put in that position. But Lena was kicking about there anyway, so I don't know. Maybe it's just for the best that she just fades off. I mean, they have a good character there. I think the, the interaction that that exists between Ruby and, and Sam was really good. But yeah, you can't really build a... Oh, she's just here and spends time with her daughter and that's all she does. You know, the characters do need to have a place in the show. And that's something the other shows tend to struggle with. It's like, why is this guy here? Why are these people here? They don't they don't have a purpose. Uh, and now Sam doesn't, unless they were able to come up with one, which apparently they weren't. Same with Monel. They're getting rid of him because there's no purpose anymore. Yeah, that's true. It's it's sort of once they've served a narrative role. But yeah, like I say, I think that's something they've got to be... Yeah. I, th- I think they should actually... It's one of those things, it's something that I complain about so often in other shows is that these characters, once once their plots run out, are still around. I think sort of um, dribble them through the season and then take them out, I think is probably the best way. A bit like they did with Manel this season... He wasn't in it as heavy because he was meant to be sort of time switching and keeping back for a bit, and so they kind of did that with him. And then they're dropping him. I think they can do the same with Sam in the next one. Yeah, um, I tend to call that characters linger for longer than they they're useful. The Dawn mm. effect <laughs> uh, in Buffy uh, in season five, there is a sister introduced that she didn't have before for magical reasons. Uh, Basically, she's a, a mystical thing that, that Buffy has to protect, and the easiest way to do that is to make it appear like her sister that she didn't have, because then she'll have that natural protective tendency. Um, it makes sense in that respect. But then, season five ends, that plot's resolved, and Dawn is still there. <laughs> but doesn't have anything to do. So, for two seasons, she's just there and doesn't do anything. And um, that's what tends to happen with some of these characters. It just really doesn't work, but they're doing the right thing, I think. Um, keeping the cast list a bit down 
you know, a bit lower than it was before. So we've got more time to to explore the people that are here in theory. Yeah, definitely, know. definitely. What did you think of Marin and his illness, his space Alzheimer's or space um, dementia? Space dementia. Do you know what? I think it was actually handled pretty well. I'd, I'd, I feel it wasn't, at some points it wasn't quite given the impact that it should have been, but it. I think the development of his and John's relationship through the the season has been really, really good. Him getting to know his father and then finding out he's got this illness and then, you know, trying to care for him but not limit him at the same time, especially when he's trying to sort of limit the danger to others and that slow deterioration. I think it was handled pretty well, to be honest. It was introduced a little bit late, I think. I think there was no mm. problem with the, the execution of it. I think that was really well done. So you had the bit where Alex was noticing the lapses in memory and uh, and she was like, I'm not getting involved. This is a, this is something for you to talk about with your father. It's mm. nothing to do with me. And so they, they had that approach. And then, so what you had was you had the episode where Jean finds out. And then the next episode is where it's escalated to the point that it's just, you know, the psychic waves or whatever is affecting other people. Which is an interesting metaphor for these kinds of illnesses. Because these kinds of illnesses do impact the people around you. You know, they they are there's nobody that's unaffected. So everyone close to you is is sucked in in some way, um, because of what they have to do to deal with it. So the fact that he's projecting his his emotions out into other people and he's causing a riot, um, is a is a really extreme metaphor for that. But it's a really effective one because it is that very simple. All right, okay, yeah, I see what they're getting at here. Sort of idea. So they um. Uh, and then you have these very frank and adult conversations about where Alex talks about her grandmother suffering from the same thing and says that it wasn't pretty, but her car keys had to be taken off her. You know, it just had to be done. She was a danger to other people. She was a danger to herself, danger to other people. And then it eventually, well, it doesn't eventually, it's very quickly transcends to the point where he's, you know, where he's like, I've got this moment of clarity now, that means I'm about to die, we need to do this ritual. And I feel like if there was, like, a pocket of episodes between these major events, it would have felt more natural. So mm. if you had had a couple of episodes of Marin just being a bit scatterbrained and a bit forgetful, and and then you had a couple of episodes of them, John knowing about it and helping him deal with it, and then you do the psionic attack type scenario... And then you have another couple of episodes, and then you have the whole, oh, look, you seem a lot better these days. And he's like, yep, it's a moment of clarity. The time is coming soon. And then another couple of episodes, and they do that really interesting ritual they did. Yeah, I, I do think there could have been a bit more of a gap in between certain elements of it. I do think you're not you're not too wrong there. I think they did all the right elements. Yeah. I don't think they had room to breathe. And also, I think where there were gaps, it was like a, there is absolutely nothing going on here gap. Yeah. So it wasn't even referenced. It would just, we're not going to cover that in this episode whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree to elements of that. Yeah. Um, but the the resolution of it was, was great. I thought that the memory transference thing was, was really good. It was really intense. And it was the whole idea of you are going to experience great emotional pain 
because I have experienced great emotional pain when it's all part of me and it's the fact that Jean is willing to take it because it is he is absorbing the essence of his of his father and that's he's willing to put up with it also the fact that the ritual is incomplete is interesting as well because there's a bit of a tragedy there parts of his dad are gone forever and that can't be fixed you know but that final memory that he shares the one that's here's the start of our culture um here's the the sacred scrolls being handed to the first green martian or whatever it is and that's like cultural identity being passed down Jean holds the keys to the kingdom. He is the final Green Martian that will know this. And there's that, you know, that's an ending as well. Uh, Marin's sacrifice where he becomes one with the earth kind of thing to save it. You know, as that final gesture of protection to save his, his son's home was really, really well done as well. I, d- I did like that sort of final sacrifice. He wasn't just sort of blinking out. He 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 did that sacrifice at the end. I, I'm not going to go back to our um, TV science section and question it at all. I'll just say it was a it was a very sort of noble act in the end, which yeah. uh, I thought you know was was handled well. And Jean's decision to step back from the DEO because he's learned that there's more to life through this experience is interesting as well. Uh, I don't know if David Harewood's back next season. I haven't seen anything to, that's written either way, but the. Way I was, you know, where he puts his hat on and he walks into the crowd. I'm wondering if they'll do a very, a bit more of a comic accurate Martian Manhunter, where he's certainly at some point in the comic he's like a private detective. All right. I mean, I don't know how that fits into the overall tapestry of the show, but I'd be happy for a, a John Jones subplot where he's helping people on a smaller scale, you know, by investigating stuff or whatever. I think I'd be, I'd be chuffed with that. Um, it'd be a different direction for him. And then you've got director Danvers, who gets to be a mother as well as the boss of the DEO. I think that's a good way to move her. But it, although equally, if it's just Jean saying, you know what, I'm going to go off and enjoy my retirement or whatever, then fine. You know, the, if the character served his purpose, he served his purpose. You know, that's true. That's true. I don't. I don't quite get the. Well, if you're head of the DEO, you get to sit around in a big office, and it means you can have kids. You'll be fine. <laughs> I always think it's like it would be the opposite. It's like you're about to be put in charge of this big agency. You're well, going to be even busier yeah. than you've ever been before. Um, well, I wonder if that now, will be now the is not the time, you know. Alex dividing her time, finding it difficult to divide her time. Mm. But she's not out in the field anymore, so she just has to deal with the bi-weekly attacks that happen on the, head- the headquarters. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, at least you'd be nice and safe here at the place that is like still recovering after <laughs> the very recent attack, yeah. That Kryptonian attack where there was about three people in the building, it seems. <laughs> there was no one there. Yeah, but it was... So that was a very frank and interesting portrayal of, of that kind of... The, of dementia and how people... What people have to do to deal with it and stuff. I mean, I, I can't say for certain. I've never experienced it, thankfully. You know, I've never had the... I've never had to deal with that in, in my family or... or even by proxy, other people's families kind of thing. It's not something I've ever been close to, but um, I think if it had been an insensitive portrayal, then it would, I'd know about it on Twitter or something. You know, it would, people would rag against it, but it, it certainly ticked the right boxes for me in terms of what I feel like it should have been. No, I think it was a, a, a fair portrayal. It appeared that way to me. I've had very, very limited experience uh, with sort of uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um but 
yeah, it, it seemed like a, a fair portrayal. And what and what they can get across in a TV show of this sort, mm-hmm. it's not a realistic drama by any means. But I think they did a very good job of yeah. what they did. What they did. Yeah. Now we can get onto the thing we've been teasing for the last <laughs> quite a while. So, Kara discovers a city, a Kryptonian city, that's just flying around space, concealed under a dome, with a large swath of the population of Krypton, which includes her mother, childhood friends, and just people that she knows on on Krypton, or people that she knew on Krypton, just flying out there in space. Thank, thank think, God! Thank God! It was her local neighbourhood, and it wasn't like the neighbourhood <laughs> over where she didn't know anyone. And yeah, but you would think this is a big deal. But you wouldn't get that impression if you watched the episodes. It's so weird. It's just so weird how detached that was. You know, Kara sees her mother again, someone she believed was dead. She only interacted with this kind of interactive hologram for years. Well, actually only for two years because she only got that when the DEO was a thing. But the impact is so diminished. You know, it's like, oh, hi, mum. It's good to see you again. And, you know, you don't you don't get that. And, and you don't get that connection. You don't get that, the the elation that she should be feeling. And Melissa Benoist is always so good at these sorts of things. I just don't underst- mm. understand why there was no impact. It It did seem a bit lacking, and part of me, because it was being downplayed so much and the way Monel was sort of shiftily looking around at everything, I was expecting it to be, oh, this is a fake hologram or an illusion or they're all pretending to be Kryptonian and it's actually something else. Or it's, you know, I was never expecting it to be, oh, no, this is actually a part of Krypton. I was waiting for, like, the foil to come down and for it to turn out to be something else going on, you know, some yeah. mind device that's making them think that they've seen a Kryptonian city, you know. Um, so, yeah, when it was when it was revealed it truly was, I was I'm sitting there going, oh, well, right, I, thought, I thought this would have been a greater impact. Yeah. Um, and then when the sort of questions are being asked, oh, what are you doing? Where have you been? What what What's Earth like? Or, oh, you've gotten so big. Never once did, do they ask, what about your cousin that we sent you there to <laughs> protect, which was the, th- the whole point of us sending you in the first place. I see you haven't brought him with you. Is he dead? Uh, how did you do? Uh, you know. So, yeah, I thought that was a bit a bit weird, in my opinion. I think part of the problem with it is the recasting of Allura as well because so used to Laura Benanti in the role in season one and the recaster with Erica Durance who's not a bad actress she was she's still my favourite Lois Lane um, hands down will not be beaten anytime soon as far as I'm concerned but the connection feels a bit false between them you know like the uh, she was only ever interacting with the, the hologram before this point other than flashbacks and stuff, which was never her. Um, it was always some other actor playing Kara and those flashbacks or whatever, but I never just... I just found it hard to associate the Erica Durance version of, of Allura with the original version that we had, and I just don't understand the recasting other than possibly the actor just didn't want to do it anymore for whatever reason. But it made it difficult, and I think that there was no rapport with them, and that 
their interactions just felt so flat as well. And I think a part of it has to do with some really dreadful dialogue as well. Like, what they were given was just, you know, it's this isn't natural at all. Um, especially when Kara's addressing... Well, when she's just talking to her mum, she just sounds so formal. Which is just not her. She's not a formal person. So I'm get, I found it just impossible to connect with it. It, it. Yeah, it did seem like she was a completely different person when she went back. Now, I don't know if they were doing that on purpose to make it like, oh, well, she's gone back to her youth when, you know, this is the way her parents raised her to be this, you know, speak very formally. You know, you're, you know, we're part of the sort of high council thing, so you can't, you know, you can't be speaking out of turn or... But yeah, I, I just felt there was a bit, there was a bit of something missing there as well. There was also some rather ropey city CGI graphics as well. Where it was, I wasn't fussed about that. I, I I do get that they're getting with a budget, but some of it was very, very ropey. <laughs> um, you know, I. It it just seems like it's a very big development to put in that show that there is actually a chunk of Krypton floating about out there. So it's now like a a permanent resource of information should they need it. You know, unless they're now going to unwrite it or just pretend it doesn't exist in future, you know. It's like, do you know what would be really helpful to ask about this particular thing that we're going up against at the moment? An actual Kryptonian, you know, a scientist, a proper Kryptonian scientist. Okay, tell you what, why don't we go and ask the proper Kryptonian scientist? Nope, nope, let's ignore them. Let's pretend they don't exist. You know, it seems like a very strange development to put in for a couple of episodes. And like I say, I constantly thought it was going to be discovered that, oh, it's not really Krypton. Yeah. And then I thought, well, maybe maybe it's been a very last minute addition that they went, okay, we need we need a way to finish this off, and we're not too sure. We've got several options. What one are we going with? We're going with dig 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 floating bit of Krypton. Okay, that'll do. And they've put it in, but the way it was integrated into the season finale in the last sort of three episodes or so suggests to me that it wasn't that that wasn't the case so it it seems like a bit of a misstep in my opinion but you know otherwise i suppose you're having to come up with another reason for free kryptonians to be floating about somewhere manipulating rain into the appropriate position and manipulating the the earth followers into the right position well, you, you had that with the Kryptonian spirits or whatever. You know, it could have just... Yeah, there's a Kryptonian ghost inside the fortress. I don't know. Mm. Like, or this hologram is sentient. I don't know. There's a million ways around it. And I don't necessarily have an issue with a chunk of Krypton being out there because we've always had the... Well, I mean, maybe you don't know this as well, but like the the bottle city of Kandor has been a fixture in the comics for a long, long time. You know, the the whole idea that Clark has this, this bottle city, you know, the, the shrunken bottle city and... Uh, in the fortress, and he can visit whenever he wants. The only drawback is he has to shrink, and then you know, um, and l- be essentially human while he's living there. So you know, he can grow a beard while he's there and whatever. But so he can always visit, but ultimately he's he's fine. But I don't think that any members of his family are in Candor. It's just his people. So he does have that disconnect to it. But the thing is, the fact that not only are her people out there, her mother is out there. And that's yeah. huge, you know that that devalues her motivation to some degree, uh, because she, 
the the thing about Kara and her struggles with her identity is she's a very very lonely person. You know, she has Alex, and they have a great relationship. Um, she calls. She calls her adopted. Uh, she calls her adoptive father and mother by their first names. Which always suggested to me that she didn't quite identify them as mum and dad. And mm-hmm. it makes sense because when she travelled to Krypton, she was travelled from Krypton, she was not old, but old enough. So she had a relationship with her parents, whereas Clark doesn't. So Jonathan and Martha Kent, mum and dad, fine. But with, with Kara, it's Jeremiah and Eliza. And she makes a point of calling them that. So even though she's grateful for everything that's happened since they took her in and Alex is her sister, you know, they are sisters, no questions asked about that. She is still quite lonely. She doesn't have a people. She's not human. She doesn't belong to humanity. She's not Kryptonian. Well, she is Kryptonian, but she has no family to speak of in that respect. But now she does. So, like... And I think they should have done more with that. There was the episode where... You know, in the first five or ten minutes, they defeat Rain and Kara makes a decision to move back to Argo <laughs> City. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, maybe defeat Rain in the first ten minutes. But then you spend the rest of the episode, Kara wrestles with the decision to leave. I did think the decision to leave was sort of carried out very quickly. And then I also felt that you needed almost like a massive time jump of Kara has been living in the city for quite a while and then this happens rather than she pretty much arrives and then it all goes wrong from that point you know it it sort of things take a turn very very quickly yeah yeah Serena steals the ship and all that stuff and well the assassination attempts like start happening from like the moment she arrives someone like throws planks at them yeah (laughs) it's like very yeah you know very funny. And then it's the whole, oh, you're just seeing things. That person wouldn't possibly try and kill you. You know, they yeah. run the village shop. <laughs> it's like, no. Um, and and yeah, and, and they do try and play with the concept of, no, you're used to being in danger on Earth. It's not like that here. And you could have had, like, if it had been, she'd been living there a couple of months, she starts off being suspicious and then becomes less suspicious because it is more idyllic there. Um, but I always, I did say in my review that, like, the existence of Serena and the fact that she was very, she was acting against the legitimate government and stuff. It's like the, the veneer of the darkness below the veneer of perfection. And I always like those sorts of ideas in those types of societies. It's where the, you know, where the, uh, the darkness is pushed so far down, but it is still there and it's just waiting to come out. And, uh, you will always have dissenting opinions. Uh, it doesn't matter how, um, how, in harmony, people are living. Yeah, I did. I, I, I did like the fact that there was sort of this underground movement and things in the city. But like I say, I just think it should have taken a bit of time rather than it just happening all within a matter of minutes. You know, of arriving, pretty much. Yeah. It's like, oh, your your best friend is still here, and this plant still exists, and your your dad's lab and things are still here. Um, oh, and uh, someone's trying to kill you already. It's uh, it kind of felt a bit too, um, too quick, really. There was even little things like, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't go home again. You know that old, that old story trope that that you can't go home again. I think it's called. 
whatever it is. It's the idea that when you go home as an adult, you realise that things have changed or the the things that you took for granted are, are different or whatever. So, like, her childhood friend. So it's like, oh, look, you're married with two kids. But you're getting really, you're getting really, really upset about this gazebo that's facing the wrong way, apparently. And, hmm. oh, yeah, Kryptonians have gazebos the same as we do on Earth. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like all the, the cussing that they do in Krypton. Uh, you know, the the TV show, not the, clan, the planet. Uh, also the planet, I suppose. But, like, no, no, no. They're aliens. They, they wouldn't have gazebos. Or they wouldn't say, damn. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, they, they would say, they would have something else. and um, They would say they, frack, of course. Well, potentially, yeah. But they could have, <laughs> they could have come up with, like, an equivalent of a gazebo without calling it a gazebo. But anyway, that's a very small point. But the the whole point about that interaction that Kara's supposed to realise, well, she grew up to be a bit of a psycho, didn't she? <laughs> like, I remember when she was a child and we were we got along really well. And now she cares about trivial crap like this. Um, I don't know. Like, it, it, there was all that potential and you could have, again, had an entire episode of her acclimating to Krypton. But I think... Or acclimating to Argo City, which is a former part of Krypton. But I think the... Um, Certainly the decision is something she should have wrestled with for longer. I, I think sort of abandoning ship on Earth should have been a longer decision. It didn't seem like it was a holiday plan. It seemed like a this is it for good yeah, plan. Yeah, well, I've had, I've had two going away parties. That's the oppor- That's the good thing about having a dual identity. <laughs> <laughs> I've had two different going away parties, yeah. I, I just feel like, yeah, it should have been, it should have been a, a longer wrestle with a decision and then when she went away, it should have been a bigger time jump to her adjusting, acclimatising. The DEO and the people over there acclimatising to the fact that Supergirl isn't at the beck and call would have been yeah. a, another angle to play on a bit more. Yeah. You know, we don't have our um, invulnerable women to call on at any moment. You know, we've got to rely on the resources that we have. While All also we have going- now is Superman. <laughs> all we all we have now available is Superman, but we don't talk about him. So all we have is available is, uh, mm, uh, yeah, not not very much because Monel's now left. We've got Guardian, <laughs> we've got yeah. Guardian on speed dial, and he's playing basketball. Yeah, he's busy. He's out <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> uh, he's doing his day job. So uh, oh, and we also decided at this point that we were going to go down the non-lethal weapon route. So uh, what you've got is squirt guns and shields. <laughs> that gun control debate was was ridiculous. And the reason it's ridiculous is because they forgot what debate they were trying to have at ha- some halfway point. So at the beginning it was about the... Um, civilians shouldn't have military-grade hunting rifles. I think that argument makes itself. Yeah. Right? The, the whole... People carrying around a gun for their own protection, that's a very different debate. So people carrying around a small handgun uh, because they feel like they deserve to be protected in some way is, um, I wouldn't say I personally agree with it. I think it's, um, I think if everyone's armed, then you you have problems there. But, um, But in the context of the show, that wasn't the debate they tried to have. They tried to have the military grade hunting rifles are excessive. So yes, they definitely are. Uh, that that's pretty self-evident, and the fact that James was arguing that point fairly self-evident. But then Lena was like, "Well, I carry a gun," and it's like I can understand why she carries a gun because she's routinely attacked 
by aliens and other horrible, horrible things. Yeah, it's a and sort then, of different end, edge to the debate, isn't it? Yeah, and then they turned it into the government shouldn't have weapons. <laughs> yeah. You know, these people that are trained to use them shouldn't have them, apparently. And again, there is a debate there as well. Should the should the army or the military have weapons around civilians? Potentially not. But at the same time, they fight some pretty horrendous alien threats every week. And the fact that Jean came round to that, right? I'm disarming it. I'm disarming us all. That's it. No more guns. Uh, if you if you're not happy with that, you can piss off. I'll help you get another job. But I don't want you here if you want if you want lethal weapons. Uh, Wynn's going to come up with some non lethal stuff. Fine. Um, it's like, what? I thought you already had some non-lethal stuff. It's just like, know when the lethal stuff needs to come out, surely. Like, there's a judgment call to be made on that one. But well, it's, it's like the difference between your armed response unit and your standard officer yeah. with a taser and a yeah. baton, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you... I'd, 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 I get the I get the argument they were trying to have, but it seemed very, very weird that they went for sort of almost total disarmament, considering... Considering the threats that they normally face, yeah, as well, it isn't like they're normally going up against just a very peeved off drunk guy. They're yeah. normally going up against a very peeved big, like alien. <laughs> well, the very next week, the Kryptonians attack, and what does Alex use? A kryptonite bullet. <laughs> so, it's, um, I'm surprised that no one was like, It'd "Be really nice if we had some lethal weaponry in the building." <laughs> <laughs> Like some sarky guy in the corner yeah. going, oh, great week to give up the guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't have done this next week, you know. But um, So it was very strange. The argument was almost threefold. And then, of course, it ends with Jean talking him down and this weird gun-toting maniac not pulling the trigger. So, you know, because it has to end with that because you, this is a show about hope. You have to hope that everyone can be redeemed and not everyone's such a bad guy and whatever. But... Your your gun control argument was very muddled. So it was a bit, but yeah. it the the outcome seemed a bit weird for the government agency point of view. Having the the debate on television isn't necessarily a bad thing, but yeah. like you say, it was muddled slightly. So I think the overall message might have been lost in there somewhere. Hey, Arrow did a better job with it when they did their very special gun control episode. Yeah, way back in season five. So I'm trying to remember what episode that was. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave you to figure that out. I, uh, I, I will do my research. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, but I thought it was funny the debate that Lena and James had, where it's like, I can't believe you're for the the holding of weapons, and and Lena just basically says, "Well, I've got my opinion, and you've got yours, and there's no point in us discussing it anymore." And that was the end of it. It's just we disagree, and that's it. So, Let's all right, move along. so I guess we're not yeah. having that conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, but uh, but their gun control stuff, yeah, very very strange. But going back to the Argo City thing, I think um, you're right in the whole. Clark should have been involved in this, even if it was just as soon as Kara gets back before she decides to leave. You see her just picking up a phone and going, Clark, you won't believe what I've just found. Yeah, I think it. I think it needed some form of conversation. Yeah, to be having there, or oh, I've spoken to Clark. He's going to visit such and such, or he's been to see. You know, whatever. Just d- d- yeah. throw it. Throw it in there. It just seems very random for it not to be mentioned whatsoever. Well, I mean, I mean, 
even if you don't want to show Clark, but this, I hate this. Well, I, I hate it when shows don't just tell you stuff and don't show you stuff. But in this case, if Clark had, um, if you know, if Kara had said to her mother, "Hi, oh, did Clark visit?" and she'd be like, "Yeah, I can't believe he's not a baby anymore," and all this stuff, you know, they could have just yeah. had that and like, because it is a weird resource to have. You know, it's, your aunt's still alive, by the way. Uh, and then she's on Earth for a bit, and she decides to leave, and will never speak of me again. Apparently, or maybe it's just implied that she'll be able to back, go back and forth whenever she feels like it. I don't know. Um, the funniest thing is, every time she goes to Argo City, she'll age a little bit. So incrementally, she'll just keep getting a little bit older. So that could explain <laughs> why she gets about a year older every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on Argo City for about a year. You know, like or a uh, long enough to visibly age or whatever, so they can get around that actually. Impressive, but I don't understand why the Kryptonians want to terraform Earth into new Krypton when it seems to be much more attractive just to move there as you are. Yeah, you can move to Earth as it is just now, and you have superpowers, and you barely age, and it's awesome. Or you can terraform it so you don't have superpowers and you age naturally. <laughs> so, oh, Although the okay. terraforming makes no sense because it doesn't change the fact that there's a yellow sun in the system yeah also doesn't seem to impact them when their city seems pretty earth-ish yeah I think that's because that magic rock Mm. is mimicking the the Kryptonian atmosphere or something I don't know it was kind of weak but I don't know what the plan was is the plan to drift through space until that rock stops protecting them and they all die I don't know do do they have a way of steering the rock like oh Uh, we're heading towards our sun Um. Okay, everyone stand to the left. <laughs> yeah. Everyone just I want everybody just to push in the same direction and yeah. then yeah. Like, everyone have bait beans and uh, hold your backside <laughs> against the shield for the next few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny. Except it'd be ridiculous. It would yeah. be, but you are wanting to see that short on uh, TV now, aren't you? It would certainly make the show harder to take seriously. Everyone, everyone, go to this particular part of town and jump up and down until like we sort of move around the way. Yeah, I don't think that's how travel in space works, but in my head it is. Yeah, I was actually fairly certain that at least Alura would end up dying in the in the finale, except she didn't. Well, she did, but then she didn't. She didn't. She didn't. I I, I thought <laughs> I, when that scene happens, I was like, oh well, this is a different way of it finishing off. Oh, they've killed off this character. They've killed, looks like they've killed off a lot of people doing all this. And it was like, okay, we're just going to uh, backtrack on all that right now and uh, yeah. solve this. Yeah, I think as soon as um, as soon as Monel died, I was like, this will be undone. It was a bit like too too many getting hit all at once. Like yeah. as she was going down into the pit, she was just rotating around, taking out everyone. Yeah, and then there was the whole, I've lost what I stand for, or I've forgotten what I stand for. It's like, huh? <laughs> that was my reaction. I was like, what? What do you mean by that? I don't get it. She hasn't abandoned what she stands for it's she's just failed it happens you know you can't win them all Uh, although i can understand her like completely against it because so many people have just died in front of her um and melissa benoist does a really good job of that whole shell shock thing and then her decision to travel through time is much like the one in the first superman movie where she just does it without really considering the um the consequences yeah, there's no long-term consequences thought about. It's just, right, I'm going to go in and I'm going to fix this. Yeah. I can't rotate the Earth on its axis, because that's dumb. So I'll I'll wear this ring and fly into this weird temporal distortion that's kicking about. 
Yeah, find find me the distortion and I will. It turns out it's just above where I am. That's cool. That was lucky. (laughs) Yeah, fly straight up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God for that. Fine. And then we'll travel back in time five minutes and apparently I'll be inside my body at the time. Yeah, that I didn't quite understand. So when you fly back yourself, you you just jump into your own body in your timeline again. Well, there's almost precedent for that. When in the Flash, if Barry only travelled back in time a day, he would replace himself. Seems as if it was more than a day. He wouldn't. I don't know. The the rules are a bit confusing there. But I'm surprised that no one mentioned it. Oh, by the way, remember when your friend Barry did this? (laughs) That was a very bad idea. Yeah. Remember yeah, those long discussions you had about Flashpoint and when you were in the other universe? <laughs> well, the good news is that we can discuss that when we record our time travel podcast in the future, which is available in your feed now, in the past. And there's another time I have to put it in the show notes. Yep. <laughs> Self-promotion. So yeah, the, the, the time travel bit was a bit weak. I quite like the idea of... The, the two Caras at the end of the season, though, it's the, there's your consequence. I don't know if she created a time remnant or not. I guess it'll all come out in the wash next season. Uh, they've reported that they're going to do some kind of adaptation of Superman Red Sun. If you don't know what that is, uh, it's an alternate reality story where Kal-El landed in Russia instead of Midwestern America. Mm. So he's raised in Russia and, and he's, you know, got the hammer and sickle in his crest and stuff um, so she lands in Siberia or or appears in Siberia so I guess she'll have no memory and she'll be I don't know co-opted by some Russian organisation or the government I don't know but if they're doing Red Sun then there'll be some kind of Russian thing to it and it'll be interesting to see whether, how those values translate to an oppositional force so it could still be that she has a, a moral code but it's not quite the same as Kara's. it's a bit colder I don't know well she's from Siberia so it'll yeah, be very know. chilly yeah, be, yeah. Yeah. yeah she'd be at home though Krypton's quite a cold planet in some oh, well, yeah. <laughs> fortress of solitude in the arctic you know that kind of stuff um, yeah and you don't want to put the central heating on otherwise it'll melt that's it yeah uh, so that could be interesting and I mean, I think I've, I've said many times on this podcast how how much how fond I am of Melissa Benoist. So having two of them, no bad thing as far as I'm concerned. Do you think both of them will have a restraining order on you, or just the original one that still has a I think, restraining I think it'll order take on a you? Little bit, I think it'll take a little while for the second one. <laughs> right, I've, okay. <laughs> I've got I've got a window of time here where, <laughs> where she doesn't she doesn't know me. So I'll strike while the iron is Siberian cold. I'm not that much of a pervert if I ever get to interview her I would be most glad I imagine she's lovely (laughs) I'm still waiting for the David Hasselhoff interview that we requested ages ago and Ryan Reynolds hosting and Ryan Reynolds hosting yeah (laughs) it's like Ryan Ryan, the 100th podcast is coming up come on man You you need to get involved you need to get involved here yeah, yeah, one hundred yeah. podcast, Ryan. Come on, man. <laughs> Throw us a bone. I mean, you you'll... can you can do episode one hundred and one if you don't want the pressure of doing the one hundred. Yeah, that's it. You can. I mean, you you're happy with people photoshopping you into prom photos, but uh, not want to host our podcast. What gives, <laughs> Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> so the the red sun thing brings us on naturally next season. I think we've kind of talked about that with mm. when stepping down to a recurring role. So he'll kind of show up here and there for little bits and pieces. Brainy on the team, be fun. 
should be fun. Uh, no Monel, potentially John Jones as a detective. Alex as a parent slash director. James, oh, James as guardian out to the public. Will he get arrested? Will he lose his job? Will he be struggling with this whole... I think the fact that people know who he is. I think bring on the lawsuit, the Guardian lawsuit, so we can get another crime drama as part of. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think it's going to be litigation. <laughs> we could be arrested for vigilante justice. Yeah, again, we could have another vigilante on trial. Yeah, I think there's got to be one per year, isn't there? A vigilante <laughs> trial, or at least yeah. two or three now. And then it'll be season three of Black Lightning, where he's on trial. And then <laughs> <laughs> they'll chuck it in a Legends at some point. Someone will be on trial. Oh, there'll uh, be some sort of time court, won't there? Yeah. Surely, surely there's some sort of like temporal court of justice for changing the timeline or whatever, yeah. and that's where the Legends will get pulled in. <laughs> so, have you got any hopes or dreams or things for season f- four? No, I think I think you've covered it really. I, it's like I said at the beginning. This for me has been a bit of a mixed bag. It's yeah. not been appointment viewing for me. It has not been sort of sitting there in my queue at the very top of the list. It's something that I've had to sort of catch up on in, in fits and starts. I, I hope to be surprised and for them to pick up something that really grabs me from the off. They have sort of teased clone slash duplicate slash other timeline slash whatever Kara in here which seems interesting they've put different characters up against each other, you've got Lena developing her her, her strange device thing, you know, whoever she's been talking to and you've got little bits like that that are on the background but yeah, I, I, I don't know what I'm hoping for really Yeah, me neither, I mean I've already said what, what I think will happen and or what I hope will happen, the one I really want is Detective John Jones Private Investigator <laughs> Shapeshifting private investigator. In fact, just give me that spin-off. I'd watch it. Yeah, the spin the spin-off would be good. Like a yeah. couple of episodes spin-off, like a little solo standalone free parter. They could do the they could do the Arrowverse spin-off spectacular. You know, like they did in The Simpsons, and it's like, and some old friends might just pop by to say hello. It'd be good. Do you know what? I think I think that you could make a series of spin-offs. You know what I mean? So they take up a, the space of a series, but it's just like three episodes of this and two episodes of that and a, yeah. a one-off of, you know, this character and that character do this kind of thing. They could do. I'm not sure they will, but... Um, I, I, don't, I don't think they will, but, no. you know, it's one of those things where you're like, wouldn't it be good to just go off and spend three episodes focusing on this particular character doing this thing? Yeah. You know, not your main, uh, your main crew, but your... Um, some of the side people that are not given as much to do that you could really go to town on a, a few episodes of a little standalone thing for them. Yeah, it could work. Could work. I don't know. Uh, just need to wait and see for next season, which I'm there for, uh, I guess. I'm not as uh, as weak as the last few episodes where I wasn't as angry, for want of a better word, as I was when I was suffering through flash and <laughs> continuing to suffer through it um I oh, poor, think fl- poor flash gets knocked on like every it does, podcast it, it though it's like even it, ones it's got nothing yeah. to do with well it has something to do with this <laughs> it does well, have to do with this there's, yeah. there's actually one thing i meant to mention it's not really a next season thing or it kind of is it's something they should keep doing so what you had was you had a couple of episodes of like they they just started off with the supergirl cast dicking about the karaoke scene was just brilliant mm. you know and this is something the other shows don't really do you know you never see team flash kicking back and just 
having fun. They're always we're in we're in the um we're in Star Labs and we're talking about Devoe for, uh, again. You know, this, yeah. this is all we talk about. We don't do anything outside of work, but uh, it, you, ca- you occasionally Girl, get them on the sofa eating pizza. And that's about it. Yeah, but in Supergirl, they had the karaoke night. They had charades. Um, it was great, you know, and the uh, yeah, it was good fun. Uh, obviously, we know that Melissa Benoist can sing, and and she definitely puts the cara in karaoke. Ah. Uh. Did you just uh, did you just line that all up for that one gag? Uh, well, I had to get that in somewhere. It was a caption <laughs> of a picture on the review as well. <laughs> so there we go. I think it's a I think it's a clever a clever pun. Aaron would be Aaron would be disgusted. So I'll make sure that he's aware that I've made it at some point. Just send him the clip of the pun. You know, he doesn't need to listen <laughs> to the whole podcast. We'll just send him a clip of the pun that we put him. Yeah. So I think they should do more of that. Just have them being friends and, and doing stuff together. I think it's definitely something that makes it more of a family that you've yeah. got on screen rather than a team that you get from the other shows. It's like they all seem like a lot more... Um, the relationships seem a lot more solid. And there's a narrative purpose for it as well because Brainy, they could be just acclimating him to the ways of the world. Mm. You know, so that that's fine. They could do that; it's not a problem. But I think it's I think it's something they should do more of, uh, or or certainly as much of. You know, just stop being, making it all business. Start. You know, you can they can feel human, even though most of them aren't at this point. But you, you know, hmm. they feel quote unquote human. Uh, just kind of very quickly, the, I'm trying to think of some of the more notable moments. Um, some of the notable action sequences for me was. Versus a toy T-Rex, where Carl almost became a life-size action figure, which was <laughs> really bizarre. It's like, nah, it shouldn't be a threat, but it is, apparently. But, the, the you know, the toy T-Rex. I also loved the um, the Legion, uh, Legion of Superheroes making their debut to fight Rain with uh, playing Bon Jovi from the, uh, from the PA system. <laughs> because they... Um, because Imra had been told stories of Tommy and Gina... From, from living on a prayer and she thought it was some kind of historic text or, or something like that it was like this legend that had been passed down but it was just a Bon Jovi song I loved that and it was just such a cool sequence it reminded me of the uh, Baby One More Time I think it was yes but, yeah when yeah. she arrived on Mars to yeah. Baby One More Time in the car Yeah, but they fully committed to it this time they actually had the soundtrack play through most of the action sequence if not all of it it wasn't all of it, definitely wasn't, but a good chunk of it. Just fun. It's creative and fun. Yeah, that very short sort of face-off with the... Um, I was going to call them the Legion of Doom for a second. Yeah, well, that, that, that's in Legends, but yeah. That was Legends. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm getting it all uh, muddled in my head, but you had them trying to take down the three of them all at once. That was uh, a that, cool sequence. That was kind of quite a cool sort of fight, a, a good sort of coordinated fight that you got in there. Um, there's been a few little bits and pieces. There's not been tons that have sort of really jumped out at me. You've kind of stolen my thunder with the one that they are becoming a, a, a life-size action hero, sort of sealed <laughs> up in the box. I thought it was quite a neat, a neat thing to do. Reminded me of the collector um, from The Simpsons. <laughs> I didn't think of that actually, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, very good. But yeah, there was there was a few little good ones sort of scattered through. I think a lot of the fight choreography and things that they do in these shows isn't isn't bad at all. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's very rare that they they wrong step in that department. I like the one in the the final episode actually the the sort of quick damage control one. Mm. Uh, you know, using freeze breath on a giant um, giant tidal wave and things like that. It's like you're clear kid. Let's blow this thing and go home. I assume that's some film <laughs> reference. <laughs> It's like we never showed you Star Wars. What? <laughs> I did like that. And do you know, the thing is that in recent, well, especially this season, actually, you've not really seen her sort of averting many natural disasters or anything. No. As a lot of it has been damage control on rain or um, pestilence and such. Where, you know, in the previous ones, you were sort of getting her trying to take, you know, not take down a tidal wave, but, you know, stop stop flooding or save people from sort of natural disasters and bits. Or just general, like, helpfulness. Yes. You know, putting out fires, saving mug, you know, stopping people from getting mugged and and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a bit less of that. I'm just glad she got over funk at the start of the season, though. Yes. That was was pissing me off. That that was, yeah, that character should not be depressed. No. <laughs> it, do, it, it does no, not suit her. Oh, no, this is the happy one. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, no, don't do that. No more don't, don't take the happy character away, no. Yeah. So on that, I think we should uh, wrap up. Um, my summary is, season three was all right. Is it the strongest season? I don't know, I think it's much of a muchness. All three seasons have had their weaknesses. Uh, season one was problematic because it didn't, the show didn't know what it wanted to be. Season two became directionless after a while, and then season three moved away from character-driven plot lines to plot-driven plot lines, which l- was less effective, far less effective, because there's no impact, there's no emotion, there's no weight to anything that's going on. So I think all three seasons have had problems. The show is still struggling to find an identity. Is it a show about? Someone living a double life? Is it a show about Supergirl just becoming a symbol for humanity? Is the Cara Danvers double life thing part of it anymore? Should it be part of it? What is you know what is going on? Uh, season four, I think, needs to get back to that. Needs to get back to, here's what this show is about. Here is Cara Danvers. Here's her life. Here's how it splits out. And do more with that. I mean, season one was at its strongest when Catco was a normal... A, a, a heavy fixture, you know, but that's largely because of Cat Grant. But um, season two moved away from that. Season three has moved so far away from it that whenever she turns up at work, I'm like, how are people not wondering where you are? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same happens in The Flash uh, until he got fired. Yeah. But it's like you, you're supposed to be at work every day, apparently. Uh, it's it's the bit that you've you've. You know, you've got to give them breathing room for, but you're always like, yeah, surely someone at work would be going, you do know, boss, that she's like never in. Oh, no, she's like working from home today, but she's not written an article in months. No, <laughs> she's working, working on a long, long story. She'll be back in, we promise. Yeah, and they need to find more balance there. Like, if she has, if she does have a civilian identity, a civilian job, then let it be part of it. You know, like, I mean, if you want to reference the new adventures of Superman, then final reference the new adventures of superman but what it what that show was about was the the superman side and the clark kent side would marry up so that superman would stop something and then clark kent would write an article about it you know and that's kind of 
well, not exactly that, but along those lines, you know, like yeah. have the the two sides of her have a purpose. Yeah. So Spider Man, uh, well, Peter Parker is very good at getting pictures of Spider Man, for example. Yeah. I work it. I work it along those lines. Uh, the other development that I forgot to mention earlier on, which was like a random development that popped up in the last couple of episodes, was Girl in the Office turns out to be very good at science. Randomly, all of a sudden. Eve. Eve. Test Eve. Marker. There we go. I, d- yeah. I didn't. I didn't pick up on the name. It's just random girl from the office that I didn't. Ditsy, ditsy assistant, yeah. Ditsy assistant turns out to know signs good. Um, well, I think I, she'll be have, Lena's, not sidekick, but certainly, yeah, of yeah. of some sort is going to be yeah is going to be in there maybe to find out what she's working on and then it will leak out from there potentially. I don't know. But well, if yeah. Lena's going to be working on her own on stuff that she's not telling anyone else about, then she will need someone to bounce off. And having someone more regular to bounce off is makes sense. I just found it a very strange character for them to randomly pick and go. Ah, actually, she knows she knows physics. I guess it's just someone who has a recurring contract, yeah. and like, there's no reason not to. Yeah, we already have this person, so da da. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Do you have anything else? Before we end? No, you shook that random morsel loose, and I think that's about it for me. Cool. Uh, I don't have anything else either. So, Chris, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And I will thank myself for being here, because I'm thanked. I'll, I'll thank you as well. Thank you, Craig. That was our discussion of Supergirl Season 3. Thanks to YouTuber Instens1117 for the supplied music. If you like what you heard, then hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app iTunes users, don't forget to leave us a star rating. If you have any feedback on our Neil Before Rise Against feature, this episode, or anything else, then you can reach us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or you can leave us a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us for the next Neil Before Pod. (laughs) 